welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. Thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? I'm surprised at how quickly you were able to cut off your chuckling. I mean, you were laughing seemingly uncontrolled. Not, not like hysterically. Yeah, I'm not but insane. You were, you were genuinely laughing, mm-hmm. and then I hit record and you stopped. Yeah. I don't know if I could do that. David, I don't know if I need to remind you of this, but there was a time when I acted, and I was, in fact, so good at it, uh-huh. I was awarded a prize, a certain prize. And this was last I was, year? I was, no, 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 <laughs> no time recently. <laughs> this was uh, about 12 years ago. Okay. Uh, and of all the actors in the state of Missouri, I was the best. Male. Yes. Um, there were so many high schooler i was the best male high school actor yes but there was in a lot of high school actors in missouri in that year anyway <laughs> right. uh, but uh so you're saying it's like riding a bike i guess okay sure wait i don't understand you're just you're saying that's part of your stage craft did you say the riding a bike thing is a dig at me no because i had forgotten okay. about that um not that you were fake laughing Right. You were real laughing. You were saying you were such a consummate professional as a Absolutely. performer. Yeah. I got to I I gotta know, you know. I just started taking notes when we are doing Absolutely. this. Absolutely. Learn, learn how to comport myself. You know, I never sneezed on stage. I was in a lot of plays, and I never sneezed on stage. Hmm. That's huh. weird, isn't it? I was in two plays, and I didn't sneeze on stage, but... It just seems, statistically, it seems like, I mean, dust is getting kicked up and stuff from the set. Speaking of that, did I ever tell you about the story of one of the two plays that I was in? Which is the one act presentation of a marriage proposal by anton chekhov you told me yes and it was an evening of one acts Mm -hmm. so all the each it was like six one acts so they all had sort of bare sets so they could switch out uh and um in a marriage proposal i played the father of the girl whose suitor is coming over right and so we had to have a front door on our living room yeah uh and so we just had a door and a frame and there's, it's a farce. So I'm supposed to be exiting just as... I can't remember the character's name. Severin was the actor. Uh, just as Severin is coming in through the front door, I'm supposed to be exiting into the kitchen mm-hmm. to get the, I don't know, drinks or cucumber sandwiches or yeah, whatever the fuck. What have you. Um, and I'm in... Like, I see the door... I see him come to the door from from stage right as mm-hmm. I'm turning, and I can see the door... I can see that he's struggling with the door, but I'm... I, I'm I'm in the middle of it, but what yeah. I hear is, wham, and I get and I don't I don't break my stride. I get into the the left stage wing and I turn around and Severin is standing in a cloud of sawdust <laughs> and, and the door has completely come off the the frame that we had. And your brilliant <laughs> improv because it's on it's on stage that this happened. Oh, because I have to re-enter. You have to re-enter, but the door is not there. Yeah, and I did. I think I just said, "What have you done to my house?" Yes. Which isn't particularly clever, but what, what it did do is uh, Elise and Severin, the two actors, mm-hmm. had just recomposed themselves oh, at okay. the point that I came out and, you know, acknowledged the thing that had happened, and then we laughed through the... Re- we we got I'm all the lines out. And I'm sure the audience appreciated that, like, you know, you're cu- you're making it okay for this to be to happen. Yeah. You're making it okay for everybody to laugh. Like stuff like that can be a bonding experience between the audience and the and the uh, performers. So, yeah. well done, David. My other play, I was in uh, one scene in the third act, maybe two scenes in the third act of Jane Eyre because mm-hmm. I was uh, Sinjin. I don't oh, know yeah. if you know the story well, but I know a little bit. Oh yeah, okay. So he was uh, played in the new movie by I can't remember. Was it J- not Jamie Bell? Uh, yeah, Jimmy Bell. Oh, that's who okay, it was. That's yes. who it was. Okay. I played the Jimmy Bell character. Oh, I could see that. Um, <laughs> so, I, oh, I, I should also say, 
God, we're so off topic. But um, we're not. We were never on topic. That's right. It's um, not a tangent if we start with this. The uh, the Chekhov one act. Yeah. At the time that I was in it, I had a mohawk in real life. So <sighs> what I had to do is grow it out long enough that I could part it in the middle and lay it down over the top of my head. And so I kind of had one of those like 20s style haircuts where I just had like yeah. perfectly like parted in the middle hair that came to the, just the edges of my head and then completely shaved. What year was all this? The sides. This was my uh, fall of my junior year. So 98. Okay, so I had not met you. No, you yet. had not met me yet. Thank you didn't God. Meet me till this podcast would not exist if you had a mohawk when I met you. Okay, you must have met me just post mohawk then. Oh, probably, yeah, yeah, yeah. So because you were probably because it was the Missouri All State Show, you probably rightfully so did not want to be uh, <laughs> seen with I, all these new people. Uh, I honestly, yeah, I, like I may have had the mohawk when I interviewed for the Missouri All State Show. Okay, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. Neither here nor there. Uh, what is he, what is here? Nice. What? Is, Not even a who. Is, is a guest <laughs> who has been uh, surprisingly quiet. I'm guessing either because he's a professional, or, or, or you know, I mean, he's not paid to be here, but uh, he's. Uh, you know, composes himself in a professional manner, mm-hmm. or because nothing we've said has been remotely entertaining, and he's been bored out of his mind. I think he's trying to repress the rage that he's feeling, <laughs> and that usually that yeah. usually equals silence. We made him come all the way out here, yeah. Uh, and now, five and a half minutes into the show, we're finally getting around to introducing him, uh, ladies and gentlemen, West Anthony. Hey, everybody, how's it going? <laughs> it's going very well. Uh, thank you for, uh, for having me on the show once again. I. All the way here, I kept repeatedly thinking to myself, oh, I forgot the music. I was supposed to bring some music. And no, 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 you're not. You're not bringing music this time. That's not what this is about. This is right. about something else. Don't worry about the music. Have, so. have you, were you a high school actor? Yeah. You, you can call it that, I guess. I mean, technically, I was on a stage. I was in clothes that didn't belong to me. I had makeup <laughs> all over my face. And that's, that about fills the bill. Well, that yeah. sounds vaguely like a rape of some kind. Uh, like, they just... Put you like held you down. Put makeup on your face. Put someone else's clothes on you. Get out there and act, you. Uh, let's see. I I played Bernardo in West Side Story. Oh, which is a pretty easy gig because you know, spoiler alert, you get to die at the end of the first act, and mm. then you show up for about a minute in the Dream Ballet in the second act, and then you're done. So, and uh, I was in the Diary of Anne Frank. I I had the title role. <laughs> you played the Diary. Oh, yes. well done, David. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, well, that's fantastic. We all... I, I, I went out of my way to not refer to myself as an actor in high school, because I did yeah. tech work, but you I... You were a tech guy. I, I needed to see what it was like on the other side of the footlights. Absolutely. Uh, so, we all have a high school acting, uh, board-treading experience. Although, you got an award for your uh, acting, right? Just within my drama club. Take what you can get, you know? I've yes. got several awards within my theater drama club, but that and those mattered up until the state award. So yes, I was the best male actor of my junior year. That was right. That was for the Mohawk role. Yeah, uh, yeah. In uh, in my high school's drama club. All right. Which I was. I mean, no one else was. Uh, Mar- Just you. <laughs> uh, Market High School has a in, in Chesterfield, Missouri has a larger than average drama club. Yeah. So that's something. I was also secretary. Ugh. Anyway. I just meant I wrote, wrote the newsletter every month, which I maybe... I was secretary for a year, and I maybe wrote three newsletters. I wasn't Man, very good at it. High school theater. I miss it and don't. <laughs> uh, All right. Now, West, here's the thing. David, watch this. So, um, 
David, I, David, see, see, already I've ruined it. Um, you, you have so, lost it. Yeah. Uh, so, West, <laughs> when you were a, a high school actor, I assume that, you know, you were taught how to project that marvelous voice of yours. Uh, more or less. Uh, right. A lot of it was self-taught, actually. That's, self-taught. That's really yeah, something. Well, it's just, uh, I think it started from an early age. Um, I always liked talking, I guess. Uh <laughs> Uh, when I was in, I, I must have been kindergarten or first grade, there was like a Christmas play, and I only had one line. I was one of like two kids who was supposed to be trying to go to sleep, but then, uh, you know, Santa Claus shows up and throws presents at everybody and whatnot. And I had this one line that was, Mommy, I want to drink a water. And the stage, you know, the the mother, you know, says goodnight, and the lights go out. And the, now, the I know you were a kid, but I'm imagining you saying yeah. it in your current voice. <laughs> the stage is completely <laughs> shrouded in darkness, and I just let it fly, <laughs> like like my life depended on it, and it got a huge uh, laugh from the audience. And I thought, okay, I can do this, <laughs> and it just kept going from there. Seriously, uh, there were like when I was in sixth grade, we had a the, my school had a talent show. They asked me to be the master of ceremonies, so I did that. Uh, you know, I, I did other things in junior high and high school. They uh, they let me and uh, my my old friend, the Orange County poet Charles Ardinger the Fifth. They let us go in and do the morning announcements in the morning. Uh, eventually, they abandoned that idea because they felt that we weren't being sufficiently reverent when we uh, recited the Pledge of Allegiance. I could see that, and they were right. <laughs> so. That it, the I've always known for a long time that my voice is probably my my best asset. It's certainly not the face. So that's, I, I disagree. Now, what age were you when you were doing the Pledge of Allegiance? Well, that was in high school. So I would have been like uh, 15, 16 years old, somewhere around there. I, I think, I, Tyler, back me up on this. I'm right at the age where like I remember in elementary school. The Pledge of Allegiance. Pledge of Allegiance Elementary School, Middle but, School wasn't there. Yeah, yeah, it 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 went away. Yeah, this was Orange there. County, right? Oh, all right. But I, I'm, what I'm saying, Reagan is, country, in the midst of the Reagan years. But what are, are there still high schools? Uh, high schools doing the Pledge of Allegiance now? Are there still any public schools doing that? I'm sure, probably. Yeah, they should. Yeah, but there are. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, I'm, I don't know if they should. Yeah, the, I guess if they want could. to, I don't have a problem with it. But like, I'm not sure if I would say they should. And yes, I say that knowing. That politically, I'm, I'm of the I, I'm of the party that says everyone all the time should say the Pledge of Allegiance. <laughs> right. It's just like, eh. well, they're doing it somewhere because I remember, and maybe you recall, uh, not too long ago, there was a guy somewhere in the middle of the country who was trying to take somebody to court because he didn't want the phrase. Uh, under phrase, God, yeah, under God, yeah. to be included in the Pledge of Allegiance for where his daughter was going to school. Yeah, I don't yeah, know what age his daughter part. was, but uh, clearly it, it's still being used somewhere. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, West, this is great. This played into my segue so well. Oh, so there it? is a there is a history of people saying, "I love that voice. I've got to have it," because <laughs> David and I have done the same thing. Listeners, uh, by the time you're hearing this, you probably will have noticed a couple of a couple of strange things on your uh, battleship retention sprouting feed. up in the feed. Yeah, uh, and that is uh, we have started having West with his wonderful tones uh, read some of our reviews from the website. Uh, let's see, right now, let's see what is 
There's a Born Legacy review, uh, Celeste and Jesse Forever. These are the two I wrote. Uh, Metropolitan, which West himself wrote. Clown. What, uh, I don't know if I put... Clown is available on the website. That's on the website. I don't think it's in the feed uh, at this point. Uh, the Last Days of Disco, which I wrote. How many words did that end up being? Last Days of Disco? Why? <laughs> it just looked long to me. Uh, not as long as I was expecting, oh, and okay. I wound up being disappointed with myself. <laughs> so, Because um, that's a wonderful movie. And uh, anyway, but yeah, and so, uh, and there will be probably two, about two per week. Uh, and the idea behind this is uh, we're very, as, as David has said in somehow a more negative way than this, we're very proud of our website uh-huh. and we're very proud of what our writers do. And uh, we want more people to be able to, uh, to read them. But I recognize that if you have a job like mine, I'm at the computer basically all day, but my eyes are always occupied. And so now you can actually listen to n- not all of our reviews not even you know the bulk of them or half of them or a quarter of them but a couple every week and yeah. so you can listen to it and be like huh that movie sounds good or in the case of celeste and jesse forever that movie sounds horrific um <laughs> so yeah uh are, are you enjoying uh, uh yeah it's a blast i love it i've you know i've said it several times uh, well i mean i've, I've written it to to tyler whenever he sends me stuff uh I, i'm enjoying it immensely uh it's something that uh, i like doing uh-huh. i like because like i said my voice is probably my best asset and i like being able to put it to use whenever and wherever i can so uh, the, for me this is like a, a golden opportunity just uh, dropped into my lap and i'm, I'm very appreciative of you guys uh, giving me the shot to do this for you yeah well i, well, it, well, I, I want to tell that tyler to take credit for the idea because it was one of his better ones thank you um but I, I, aside I, from doing the podcast, this was my second best idea so far. The podcast was your idea, and this might even be better than that one. <laughs> yeah, um, but I, I, I referenced this on on Twitter today. I listened to my Born Legacy review, and I was like, "West makes me sound like a better writer." Than no, I am. no question about it. I listened to my Last Days of Disco, and I was just like, "I'm not so I'm not so terrible." <laughs> right. um, and that's the thing is, it's it's uh, it absolutely is not an act of charity because. You manage to have an authoritative tone, an official tone, while still being conversational. And that's exactly what we want out of our reviews. It's very exciting. So you can, uh, so from time to time, like if, if you are listening to this and you uh, go to the website, you'll notice some reviews, there is a little, a little uh, sound bar and you can click play and it'll be at the top of every review. And that basically means that you can listen to the review as well as read it. Uh, and then we will be putting them into the uh, into the feed from time to time. So check back often. All right. So um, I, I, if I could add parenthetically, I, if you guys could refrain from reviewing movies starring Jelko Ivanic, <laughs> uh, you know, because the Born Legacy was the first review that I wrote, knowing you were going to read it, and I wrote that thinking, ooh. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I wouldn't want to read that. Oh, absolutely. I had to, I had to look it up. I had okay. no idea how to pronounce that guy's name. Do you name. know why we know? And Rachel Weiss, I was, is it Weiss or is it Weiss? And I had to go and look that up. It's Weiss. So now I know. We, but. years ago, I don't know if you remember this. I don't, I don't know if this guy's still listening. Here on the podcast. That's right. Talked about how we didn't know how to pronounce Jelko. Is it Ivanek? Yes. Uh, we didn't, how we we didn't know how to pronounce Yes. Um, but yeah, I, I, no. I, but the guy, a guy wrote us in and wrote into us who was, uh, I guess, um, whatever Sla- that is, Slavic. Is that? It seems Slavic to me. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm going to get more. But he 
told us how to pronounce it. And I couldn't remember. I knew that the I was pronounced E, but I couldn't remember if it was Ivanek or Ivanek. So it's mm-hmm. Ivanek. Yeah, Yoko I found a clip Ivanek. on YouTube where he himself was pronouncing his name. And so that was, oh. that was the key for me. Wonderful. Yeah, that's the way Good to go. For him. That's the way to go. Um, <clears throat> do you want to do uh, tweaked first? Or well, yeah, we're I mean, moving the, to... Look, you make it sound like it's something we need to get out of the way. I look forward it's a week in and week out for to the opportunity to tell people mm. about the uh professional quality earbuds that you can get at a very affordable price at tweakedaudio.com now that's where you would normally go tweakedaudio.com you get professional level uh earbuds in a variety of styles and colors at an affordable price david here's what i do okay here's okay that's what other people do here's what i do Mm -hmm. i go to tweakedaudio.com slash pretension oh that's what I do, right. and here's why. You know what it's like? Why? Uh, what? You're like Ray Liotta taking... Or you're like Henry Hill taking Karen Hill through the back door in the kitchen. Absolutely. Of the Copa. Absolutely. <laughs> That's what you're like. I'm like, hey, guys, it's fine. <laughs> Go ahead and give me my 33% off. It's all right. <laughs> right. That's the kitchen. Yes. Is the 33% off. That's why I go to tweaked.com slash pretension. I get 33% off these these earbuds that you've already spoken so highly of. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's good stuff. Yeah, like I said, great earbuds, great prices, especially at tweakedaudio.com slash pretension. Free shipping. Let me say, let me get a clean read here. Sorry. Tweakedaudio.com slash pretension. Yes, free shipping. Free shipping. (laughs) A variety of styles and colors, which I love to say for Mm -hmm. some reason. Uh, That's very strange. (laughs) And that's, uh, yeah, we we highly recommend it. Absolutely. Uh, You know, we're not just uh, sponsored by them. We're also... They're friends. Customers. They're friends. No, but I mean, we, we use their product. Uh, we do, yes. That is, uh, when I listen to, uh, and I'll tell you this, the tones of a West Anthony are never better. Yeah, if you're listening to our audio reviews through the headphones that came with your iPod. Yeah. It'll sound like Wes is vomiting into the yeah, mic. You might as well just <laughs> ripping your ears off and throwing them down the garbage disposal. <laughs> what you need are some tweakedaudio.com slash pretension earbuds to really get the full... Uh, uh, timber. Absolutely. And spectrum. So, all right. That was fun. <laughs> yes. All right. Um, but we are here for where there's a, a very serious reason we're here. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, I, oddly enough, um, Wes, last time you and I talked in person was at uh, my place of about a month and a half ago. Right. At a, a barbecue. Tyler was unable to make it. Sorry. You coming to the next one? Yes. All right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, there was a group of, of, of movie nerds. Is uh, you, uh, our, our friends Scott and I, and Kyle Anderson. Mm-hmm. Who else was there? Colin Marshall, uh, right. Ian Brill, oh, all, all friends of ours talking about movies. And a thing that kept coming up because we knew this was uh, coming up uh, was the uh, sight and sound poll. Yeah, and, and sort of predictions. What's going to be on? You know, uh, what you know? What's going to change? What's going to change in the decades to come? And so we have the. The answer, at least to that first question, uh, the, this past week, uh, or I guess over a week ago by the time, we had a long lead time in our previous episode, so uh, <laughs> over a week ago, the... And sun- last episode ended in a zero, yeah, and was and not was divisible not a- by 50. Exactly. So, um, uh, yeah, the, the 2012 Sight and Sound poll came out, uh, and we decided we're going to talk about it. Mm-hmm. So the Sight and Sound poll is, it started in 1952, right, and is uh, a sort of polling of of critics and then later there's a director's addendum yeah um, they they started doing that in 1992 they started okay. polling directors and that's a separate list right uh but yeah it's a, it's a it's a critics poll of the best movies 
ever made. And for those who don't know about it, I, it's probably the most prestigious, if only because they're as rare as hen's teeth. They only do it once every ten years. Yeah. So there have been a total of seven so far. Yes, seven so far. <laughs> uh, yeah, I had to use my fingers. Shut up. Um, and so that's that makes it kind of a big deal. It's certainly sort of a bigger deal than like the AFI list. So you know, one hundred this and one hundred that, and you know, one hundred shoes or whatever. I don't know. I, mm-hmm. I don't know them all, but they have like fifteen of them or something like that. Yeah. And also, it's it's a list of one hundred movies, and not only that, but it's a list of one hundred American movies because yeah. it is the American Film Institute. And there's so much overlap between those lists that they have started to, I think, dilute their brand a little bit. Oh yeah, uh, like being number one doesn't necessarily mean what it used to uh, when that movie shows up in this genre and this genre and this genre. It's like, well, I'm all for uh, a film that spans all these things. But after a while now, it just the joke that I've said on the show before. Now it just looks like you have stock in this movie somehow. Well, yeah, that the more lists it winds up on, uh, on you wind up getting money for it or something. It's, it's like a marketing gimmick yeah. to get people to go and get these movies where the, the sight and sound list, uh, I guess, yeah, you would probably have to use the term elitist. It probably is to a, <laughs> a great extent, but that's one of the things I like about it. I don't have a problem with it being unabashedly elitist. I want the cream of the crop. Mm-hmm. I, I want to, to see the, the best of the best on that kind of list, especially a list that comes around once every 10 years. Uh, my only concern now is where am I going to go to get a physical copy of the magazine? Because all, all these places where you could normally get that magazine have closed up since 2002. Hmm. So I don't know what I'm going to do now. They have a, they have an iPad app mm-hmm. where you can uh, you can do a one one issue subscription for I think five ninety nine. But it's my understanding I was about to do it, and then I I heard something to the effect that that one month subscription means that you get access to that issue and all their back issues for one month, and then that's oh, okay. it. If you ever want to be able to read that magazine again, you got to pony up more money, hmm. and I'm not into that. <laughs> so. <laughs> I would something that only comes along once every ten years. I, I actually like to have a physical copy. I have a physical copy of the last one, which I did not bring with me. Oh. And it's it's worth noting, um, and I guess we'll we'll basically jump right in at this point. Uh, it's worth noting that Citizen Kane, which has long been considered the best movie of all time, that started with the 1962 Sight and Sound list. It has since shown up on like various other critics' lists, the AFI list. Uh, yeah, and. Um, it just it that was the first one like sight and sound it's it's a bunch of critics and people say oh well critics they don't really matter that much however when you say citizen kane to somebody that people don't that you know maybe doesn't even hasn't even seen it they will probably know that it is considered the best movie of all time like there are lasting effects culturally to the sight and sound list. What was the number one movie in 1952? In the first uh, list, the number one movie was uh, the Vittorio De Sica film Bicycle Thieves, mm. which for those who haven't seen it, um, it's like Crank 2, only with a bicycle instead of a heart. <laughs> 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 and you cry more at the end. Yeah, uh, but not it's, much more. It's a, it's a beautiful film. Uh, it's one of my favorites. You can get it from the Criterion Collection, uh, not on Blu-ray yet, unfortunately. But, uh, man, that film... Uh, Everybody, I think, cries at the end of that movie. <laughs> the um, referring to it as "bicycle thieves" thing—that's new in English. That's I, again, 
when when you and I were in film school, it was a, generally you would find it on the name the Bicycle Thief. Yeah. But you would hear people say, you know, the real title is Bicycle Thieves. That was yeah. a big thing that would be said a lot. And now I feel like it's in a I guess a fairly short time mm-hmm. really been pondered into cineasts' heads and they say Bicycle Thieves. Yeah, the first DVD of that movie I got, which was back when DVDs first came into mm-hmm. being around 97 98 it was called the bicycle thief yeah so yeah it's yeah that was the dvd we had at my video store was the bicycle thief i think maybe the reason that it has been embraced uh particularly in film nerd culture is because the change in title is very significant like yes. the bicycle yes. thief when you think of what the story is clearly like oh this is the guy that sets off sets off the story there's the inciting incident but then when you pluralize it, you're like, oh, there's more than one? Ah, yes, there is in that story. And that's what makes it so damn tragic. And so I think because there was an actual – it, it adds context right. to the story itself. I think that's why it was uh, embraced. Um, now, Bicycle Thieves went from number one in 1952 to number 33 this year, which brings you to another thing. I mean, I've always, <laughs> I've always thought of this as the sight and sound top ten list. But there's 50 of them. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's like the, the overall list. The, the top 10 is really kind of the one, the part of it but that how, most people focus how, on. Have they always done 50 since 1952? Not that I know of. Okay. Uh, I, I only recall, like, all the other lists that I've ever seen from them in the past, it's only like the top 10. And even at the top 10, because there are always like some ties. Uh, in the past, anyway, I noticed that that didn't seem to have happened this time around. I think but, there was a rule, new rule. There was a rule change. So yeah, oh, that, that's probably why. Because like, there's maybe I think there are ties in the top fifty. There are not twelve the films on the top ten list for 1952 <laughs> because there's a couple of ties. You know. Uh, okay. So in fact, I don't know. Let's, let's see. After after Bicycle Thieves, then there's a tie for second place with City Lights, and then The Gold Rush. Hmm. Both uh, Charlie Chaplin films. Then, Only one of them in our current top 50. Then number four is Battleship Potemkin. Mm-hmm. Uh, then there's a tie for fifth with Intolerance uh, and Louisiana Story. Mm. Then there's a three-way tie for seven with Greed, Le Jour Celeve, and The Passion of Joan of Arc. And then a three-way tie for ten with Brief Encounter, Rules of the Game, and Le Million. So that, that's right. 12 movies. So, so, um, okay, well, let's... That, that, that kicks off some stuff. Um, uh, well, well, here's we- what I want to talk about. Okay. Actually, because you mentioned Battleship Potemkin being number four. And uh, so this is a top 50 list that we're looking at. But because it's always been, you know, talked about them uh, as the top 10 list, uh, you know, on the AFI lists, that space between 10 and 11 isn't as meaningful. Right. But when I look at this and I see the Battleship Potemkin was knocked down this year out of the top 10, even though it's just at number 11. Yeah. That, uh, as a guy who would put that pretty high in my top ten of all time, yeah, um, that's it's a bit it's uh, it hurts to see it. And this is the first time in the history that uh, that it's not been in the top ten. And that's the thing is, uh, so I I want to bring up a couple of things before we really like delve into, and we already have a little bit, but before we really delve into what's on the list and what isn't, um, I wanted to first talk about changes that they've made. And by me, I mean I'm going to throw it to West. Um, changes <laughs> that they've made in the process of selecting these movies. And I wonder if perhaps that is why there is a top 50 list this year. And, and, and maybe there was 10 years ago. But, like, they expand. if I'm not mistaken, they expanded the number of critics from, like, 
150 to 200 mm-hmm. to 800. Yeah. And perhaps in doing so, they felt that it would be only fair to extend it from a top 10 list to a top 50. The top 10 is still very important, but maybe that's why they really, that's why they put the top 50 out there on the website and, and that sort of thing. That could be. Yeah. The, uh, I actually, I looked it up and in the past, well, in the 2002 list, they consulted 145 people. Okay. For this list, it's 846. Okay. Which I know bothers you. Yeah, it, it does because I feel like it's a deliberate attempt on the part of whoever is in charge of this thing. Uh, to shake things up. Uh, obviously, I think that the more people you get in on something like this, the more likely that movies on the list are going to fluctuate, going up and down. And, and I'm pretty sure that the guy achieved his aim by you know, the, the, the position of uh, the number one film and the number two film this time around. Mm-hmm. I think that's... Clearly, I think this guy had something like that in mind. Or maybe he didn't even have something that severe in mind, but I, I, I think that he did. Um, and I don't know that that's necessarily the right way to go about this by just suddenly throwing it open to hundreds and hundreds more people. Because, again, if this list is supposed to be the creme de la creme, then you want to just really restrict your numbers to like the very best people, the very best minds in terms of critical thinking about cinema. That's to my way of thinking. Um, well, let me play devil's advocate because I'm going to disagree with you. But um, there are exponentially more people writing film reviews and criticism than there were 10 years ago or especially 20 years ago sure but including the three of us yeah well i didn't get an email did you (laughs) yeah i'm I'm not expecting anybody to come a calling with anytime soon but i think surely some of the people who had devoted in years past maybe they're not available uh, or alive to vote on this one you can change out some people and you know get rid of some people and bring in some some new ones i think you that's a probably a better way to do it in my estimation than to just throw the doors open wide and just let a bunch of people stampede in uh, and this is something that i i said uh, i mentioned to you tyler when i i wrote back to you about this is that i think there's a difference between things changing and changing things mm-hmm. so i think mm-hmm. if you would just sort of let things go on over time, this whole thing would evolve on its own, and the list would change just as a matter of course. Because you know, as movies that are newer to us get older, movies that are older to us get more obscure to future generations, it's more likely that we're going to see more turnover in the future, no matter what, even if you'd kept it at 145 people. So doing it this way, I, I'm not going to say that it invalidates the list, but... I don't know. I guess it kind of dilutes its significance for me just a little bit. I think I, I can see that, but I, 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 I think I'm mostly coming down on the side that it, it is still significant because it's still, it's still a curated list. Yeah, it's. I mean, I think it's. I think it's still. I'm kind of in between actually. Like, I think it's still significant because if you look at this list, like this is hardly like. Uh, like mainstream pandering uh, films. Yeah, there's no Back to the Future on this list, folks. Whoa! <laughs> look who ma- look who anticipated where I was headed. Um, Do you know I have? I was going going back. It was um, let's see, almost 50 weeks ago, mm-hmm. almost a year that I made some disparaging remarks about Back to the Future that uh, got me a lot of uh, uh, Twitter annoyance, mm-hmm. um, and I've come to realize that. 
maybe it's just me. Maybe these people who love Back to the Future who are our age, maybe that's just a coincidence. It's not just nostalgia. Maybe they really do. Maybe it is to them really an impactful, impactful and important film. And I just, it just escapes me. Well, it's not it's, just you. Uh, <laughs> I think it's a great and entertaining movie, but the more I think about it, the more I realize that there's a lot of stuff in there that's dated. Yeah. And it, it makes it feel less and less like a classic. But I think that stuff that's dated. I. I mean, I didn't see it in 1985 because I was three. Mm-hmm. It probably came out in the summer, so I was two. Yeah, um, it was July 4th weekend of 1985. Yeah, so I was not even three yet when it came out. Um, that was my personal best movie-going day. I saw hmm. five movies in one day. Oh, well, boy. Can you remember all Which five ones? of them? Okay. And the funny thing is, there were two Westerns. Uh, because there was, there was Back to the Future. There was Clint Eastwood's Pale Rider. Good right. movie. And... Uh, Lawrence Kasdan's Silverado. Oh, that's oh, a great movie. I love that. I lo- is that a good movie, though? Because that's one that I also haven't seen since I was a kid. I, I loved it I think when it's I was a genuinely kid. good. It's it's kind of a, a Western comedy, but not glib like Maverick would be okay. years later. I think Silverado mm-hmm. is solid. It's a great have... movie. Okay, that's one good. of my favorite Westerns, actually. And I love Westerns. But uh, uh, there was also National Lampoon's European Vacation. Mm. Sure, yeah. And for the life of me, what was the fifth one? Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> uh. I would probably have to... The Black Cauldron. Oh, oh, wow. Really obscure. That movie just went away. And, th- and this is a six-theater complex, by the way. And I, We could have seen... It was me and my older sister and younger brother and I. We just got dropped off at the multiplex in the beginning of the day. And then we just stayed there until we called for somebody to pick us up. We could have stayed and seen all six films. And, and I, I arranged these things like a goddamn military campaign. There is no <laughs> coming in five minutes late to a movie when you're with me. Uh, but nobody wanted to see Rambo First Blood Part 2. That was no. the sixth movie playing in the theater. If for no other reason than because that title is silly. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, five movies. Five movies in one day at, at the theater. That's, nice. that's my personal best at the theater. But that's, the, uh, that's the, what I wanted to bring up regarding well, I, I Back to the Future. I was in the middle of it. Oh, all right. Yeah. Then I guess go ahead. <laughs> what I'm saying is those things that seem, I think, dated now were probably hollow at the time. Because there's a thing with Robert Zemeckis that he does in a lot of his films, and I know I've talked about this before, mm-hmm. where I think, because I think he's a, a really talented visual storyteller and um, can even sometimes get it some pretty uh, profound stuff. Uh, I think even in, in Castaway, which is a movie that I uh, largely uh, very much enjoy. Um, but I think there's false notes in most of his films because he, I think he includes stuff that he doesn't actually think is good, but that he thinks the audience will enjoy. And I think that's the stuff that doesn't stand the test of time. Hmm. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, like uh, the, the example I always go to in Forrest Gump, which is a, uh, a longish movie that sort of, when I watch it now, careens back and forth between being really ridiculous and then being really something that I'm into. A lot of that <laughs> movie feels like pandering to me. Yeah, but like the, uh, that he's jogging and he happens to invent both the smiley face thing and right. the shit happens yeah. sticker and that is so yeah pandering like well, here's something they'll recognize and it'll be a cute thing and then he's like uh, you know sometime later I heard that man you heard from who in the middle of you running for seven years or whatever you met one guy for 30 seconds and then how did you hear that that was the same guy yeah that just seemed it just felt a little too kitschy and, yeah and uh, those, are, those are the elements that I think are in a lot of Zemeckis films that turn me off Jen was recently watching Back to the Future and there's a couple uh, there's an instance where uh, Marty you know, he goes into the uh, diner uh-huh. and he orders uh, Pepsi free. Pepsi yep. free. And what's <laughs> the other one? 
He orders two. One is a Pepsi free, and I don't recall what the other one is, but it is so is 80s it, specific. Is it a tab? Yeah. I don't think that's no. That was give me a tab. It means no. And then he thought he meant the guy behind the counter thought that he meant like you know like a bar tab, right? Something like that. And he says, "Oh, fine, just a Pepsi free." He's like, "No, no, you're not getting anything for free. You got to pay for it." Like Like, he picked two so specifically '80s drinks that nobody knows about anymore, except for that uh, delightful. joke from the simpsons where and homer by gets the tired 80s. and says i'm gonna order a tab and so he pushes tab on his keyboard but uh, by the 80s tab wasn't even a thing that uh-huh. yeah. that that went away in the 70s yeah, i think it came kinda, back a little later but i, I remember when i was a kid they and they, it in they, there. They came back um and then but, also just even the delorean thing is a very dated yeah. reference i mean now yeah. we only know a delorean because of back to the future no question <laughs> It's not like a jokey when he says you build a time machine out of out a DeLorean, DeLorean. We don't like go like Haha, DeLorean because we don't have any association with that car other than the fact that it, it's a time travel car. Yeah, and then he says, as Fatim so regularly uh, says, as Christopher Lloyd, precisely. If I figure if you're going to travel through time, why not do it with some style? And now we look at that and there's like that's not stylish. <laughs> that's a silly <laughs> car. It's a stupid car. But um, <laughs> but the thing is. Uh, I'm glad you brought it back to the future uh, because the film school rejects list. I'm pretty sure that's what we're referencing. No question. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But that's the thing is we uh, have talked about and we actually discussed with uh, Wayne Fetterman when he was on. We talked about lists and that while I know there's no question that I reject. I I I was going to say that I don't accept, but I'm going to say reject the fact that Back to the Future is one of the ten best movies of all time. That's ridiculous, but. Here's the thing. The time may come in 50 years when people of our gen- – eh, let's say 30 years. We're, we're not getting any younger. But um, in 30 years, when they make the sight and sound list again, it'll be, be, be people of our generation making it. And who knows? A probably, Back to the Future probably won't show up, but other movies will. Like this will happen organically over time. Uh, I don't think they need to bring in – part of me is like, okay, 149, tell you what, kick it up to 200. The internet, the internet is here now. Uh-huh. Kick it up to 200. That's fine. 800. <laughs> that is... You said it right. They threw the doors wide open. Yeah. But, just, that's, but at the same time, the, st- the list still wound up like this. Um, no, yeah, it's... I think ask, it comes from a bad instinct. In the, way, in, in the interest of getting it back to the list, or, or did you have something you wanted to add? Well, if you want to hear that top 10 list that... Uh, what was it? Film School Rejects? Right, which Tyler, to which Tyler and I contributed. Okay. And by the way, my number one film on my list was Vertigo. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. I think Cole Abias and I were the only two people who submitted lists that had Vertigo at number one. Oh, well, maybe you helped uh, push it in. Because just for purposes of comparison, everybody, the that that online uh, top ten list is as follows. There's Citizen Kane, Woo. The Empire Strikes Back, uh, The Godfather, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Casablanca, 8.5. <laughs> we're, we're doing metric now, everybody. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's Fellini's. Uh, Back to Der Future, 2001 A Space Odyssey, Bicycle Thieves, and uh, Vertigo, bringing up the rear. Yeah, that's, no, uh, not, that's not a terrible list. No, it's the, a nice uh, there's only one that I would say does not belong, which is Back to the Future. Right. I, think, I think Empire Strikes Back could probably... It, it's a it, great movie, yeah, but I it could probably put, drop out of I it. I think but, there's uh, a lot of sentimentality involved there. And also, I think... I don't want to sound... Yeah, I don't want to sound like I'm... Uh, I was going to say fogey-ish, but I'm <laughs> the age of those people, but I still have this, I guess, fogey-ish personality no. <laughs> about these things. But um, the one thing I do want to say that this list gets right that I think the Sight and Sound one doesn't is the, the Raiders of the Lost Ark. I mean, not necessarily, necessarily should be in the top ten, but, uh, I mean... Um, 
action cinema is uh, not that woefully underrepresented. Well, there is no movie like that in the top fifty here. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess Apocalypse Now has action. The general has some action. sequences in it. Well, the general I have often said is an action movie to me. Before it's mm-hmm. a, it's a comedy. It's but, a comedy first. I mean, uh, I'm saying to me, I enjoy it more as an action movie than as a comedy. I mean, it's funny. It's, it's it is a funny, funny movie. but I mean, I, you know, Steamboat Bill Junior. or Sherlock Junior. are both funnier to me than the general. And some like it hot has some action in it. If you're looking at Marilyn Monroe, am I right? <laughs> there you go. No. Um. <laughs> but yeah, I mean that kind of. Uh, I, I mean, the the, the, the funny thing um, about this this top fifty, the sight and sound top fifty, is that even the more recent films are generally not using techniques that are available to filmmakers working in the 1980s and beyond. Do you know? Yeah. I mean, the reason that Raiders of the Lost Ark uh, and, and action movies since then are what they are is because of you know the way that uh, the camera has become freer and freer. Uh, as soon as it's gone on. And, and uh, I mean, uh, th- that sort of, th- the fact that this list I- ignores that sort of development, um, which is old, you know, as old as I am, uh, is, uh, uh, th- that is something to be bemoaned. I don't want to sound like we're saying everything on the sight and sound list is good and everything on the film school rejects <laughs> list is bad. Uh, certainly not. We yeah, contributed to the film I mean, that's the thing is like action movies being not at all represented on this list. Like, straight-up action movies. Apocalypse Now is not an action movie. But, like, uh, the fact that they're not represented, I think, shows a certain degree of... I would... Elitism, I'm not necessarily opposed to. Snobbishness. Snobbishness, yes. yes. Because it's just like, oh, action movies. Like, I cannot think of a better genre to exemplify what movies are than action. Yeah, yeah. They are called moving pictures. Yeah. Well, I mean, cinema comes from the word for... Like, you know, kinetic. Yeah. Kino. Cine. Kinetic. Movement. <laughs> I was going to say it comes from, but I don't actually know what the actual root... Uh, I mean, is it a French word? Cinema? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> now that you mention... But I know in in Germany it's kino. And I think it's all derived from Greek or Probably. Latin or something like that. Uh, it's all, it's all Greek to me. Uh, but don't, you know, but in terms of, yeah, talking about you know, action movies and whether they belong and so forth, then that also brings up the issue of should there be, uh, for what you know, for want of a better term, should there be an age limit for movies to be considered for a list like this? You know, uh, twenty years, thirty years, forty years. You right. know, is, uh, at the moment, in the top ten, the uh, the most recent movie uh, in the sight and sound top ten is uh, Stanley Kubrick's two thousand one, A Space Odyssey. It's it's at number six from nineteen sixty eight. Nineteen sixty eight. And the yeah, the most recent film in the top. Um uh, or the, the highest-ranking film from the, the the 21st century is in the mood for love, right? Which and that's from 2002. No, it's from 2000. So, 2000. And, and the so, most the most recent film on the list overall is uh, David Lynch's Mulholland Drive, yeah, which is at number yeah, which is at number 28. Yeah. Now so, um, I'm I'm very I mean uh, again to go back to my my personal film school reject thing I submitted to film school rejects and in, in the mood for love was on my list. Um, but uh, a thing that came up at the, I don't know if you remember our conversation at my barbecue, Wes, but a thing that came up about newer films is we were talking about how soon does There Will Be Blood show up and how high does it debut. Right. And given that In the Mood for Love and Mulholland Drive are within the top 50, are you guys surprised that There Will Be Blood didn't make it or is it still too new? I think it's too new. Yeah. Like, it goes back to what I was talking about, about the, the whole age thing. I really feel like, because and this is something else that uh, I had read, somebody had written on online, and I, I do sort of agree with it, that 
you do kind of have to give movies time really to prove their worth and it's going to take a while you know i mean definitely I right. certainly i mean i'm crazy about there will be blood i do think it's a masterpiece i think it's the, the best movie that paul anderson uh, has done up till now anyway i haven't seen the master yet but i think it's a it's an astonishing film and i feel confident that it will be somewhere on this list at least somewhere in the top 50 at some point in the future but i could be wrong you know yeah. who knows that yeah. you know maybe 10 years or five or even five or six years down the line people will be watching that movie and saying well what were we thinking Maybe this uh, this isn't as good as I remember it. Right, it's entirely possible. I, I, I don't think, think it's probable, but it could happen. To me, the problem with doing a podcast review with someone who agrees with you so often is you get into sort of an echo chamber. Because <laughs> I, I mean, we regularly mention there will be blood in the same breath as Citizen Kane and Vertigo. It's like it's like a sort I, of trilogy I, of films that we often talk about. And, I, and I bring up Apocalypse thing. Now as well. Right, like right, I, right. Those four movies go together for me because it, it seems like the filmmaker not has gone insane but that they're they're in they're treading into waters that they don't totally understand um but they still have to do it and i i like that i find that invigorating um so uh we need to keep moving but so i'll, I'll start with Did this we? i didn't know we had anything well there, I thought this is just gonna be a general discussion there are a couple i mean a discussion of the general <laughs> that'd be fine with me let's talk the general uh but um are there any movies on here specifically? Well, and this is I completely subjective. Oh, go ahead. But like, are there any on here that you specifically think like this does not? Well, I was going to ask: Is there anything in the top ten? Because um, we were talking about the Back to the Future thing. Um, is there anything in this top ten you think uh, absolutely shouldn't be there? Yes. Oh, what is it? Uh, Man with a movie camera. I okay. love Man with a movie camera. It's wonderful. I was just watching it today. It's it is so it's everything that we, it's almost like an action movie. It isn't, of course, but it's just it has this kinetic pace, mm-hmm. and it's it's wondrous. Everyone should see it. Battleship Potemkin is better. Yeah, like and it's just if you were to put it in the top uh, in the top fifty here, that's absolutely fine. Um, I and it's it's kind of an experimental film. I'm not opposed to putting experimental films on here, but it's just as far as it just seems to be there primarily because like oh it, it you know it, it had this it was one of the first movies to have this kinetic pace and there's no real story it's really just it's a documentary of sorts and it's like that's all well and good but if you are awarding something purely based on the technical achievements of it and the con- the larger contributions that it made to film in general Potemkin goes in there like it, it has to be in there West, anything for you in the top ten? Uh, actually, it was be, uh, precisely for that that same reason that uh, that you said uh, that I, I agree with you. Like I said, I was just watching it uh, early this morning. I hadn't seen it in a while, and this will actually this might give you an idea of just uh, how prestigious this list is. Uh, when I first saw the list, I went on to Netflix and I punched in uh, "Man with a Movie Camera." I immediately sent it shooting up to the top of my queue came in a couple days later no problem because there there was no there was no clamor as far as i can tell for people to say oh oh sunrise what's this i I gotta take it take a look at that nope nothing nothing like that happened as far as i can tell you've touched on uh uh, the thing i wanted to say which got a hulu plus subscription out of me so (laughs) yeah um Sunrise. We did like was a like a year ago we did a a profile of fw murnau and um 
I, I think Sunrise is very good, but maybe in the context of his career, from the guy who made The Last Laugh and Nosferatu, I, 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 I get why Sunrise is held up higher than those. Right. Uh, but I, I think both those other two films are better. And even some of his uh, smaller films, I think, uh, Faust is really uneven, but... Yeah. Uh, uh, so is Sunrise, kind of. Sunrise, it, I, I like Sunrise a, pacing, a lot. Both of them, from a pacing standpoint, are a little odd. Yeah, I, I like Sunrise a lot. Um, but, of course, I I mean, I love Last Laugh. It's in my personal top ten. Um, and it's that, I think, is the much bigger achievement. But the type of movie that Sunrise is, of course, it'll be on this list. And it, it's just In that, like, you know, what, a song of two humans, you know, whereas The Last Laugh <laughs> right. is about this, uh, this guy loses his job, right? Like, it, it just... Well, you know, I mean, this, it, this isn't a populist list, though. These no, aren't like happy but, stories. I mean, but, Vertigo and Susan Kane do not are not happy stories. I think, I think people would look at Sunrise as being more ambitious, and thus they will immediately respect it more. I think if Sunrise strikes me as sort of like the the arty intellectuals version of populism. Maybe uh, I, yeah. I, I totally get what you're saying and because I mean, going to the the ambitious it's like their version of a sentimental favorite. Right? Yeah, right. That's true. Um, because, yeah, again, and in terms of ambition, The Last Laugh is just as ambitious with what he does with the camera and just the size of the sets. Yeah. In, 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 in both cases, they have uh, enormously and beautifully constructed I remember sets. In, I remember in school, and I might have said this on our Murnau episode, I remember in school they said, this is what movies, not what they were, but, like, this movie embodies everything, like, the progress that was being made with the camera and with editing and that is the tragedy of sound filmmaking because <laughs> then they couldn't do this. They couldn't have the fluid camera. They couldn't have uh, the, the edits right. like they could because they had to have the stationary mic and all that. And just like, this is what it could have been. Who knows if sound had been like 10 years later, who knows what would have happened with filmmaking for and, that? Well, you know what? If I were my age in 1930, I'd be bemoaning that. But I'm my age now, so we get the best of both worlds. Oh, no question like, about it. It was a setback. But yeah, yeah, yeah. We, uh, <laughs> I think we caught up okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think we're going to make it. Yeah, we got Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, now, and here's the thing, by the way. Um, I like Rules of the Game a lot. It is not my favorite uh, uh, Renoir film. Oh, I think it was, to keep going to my film school rejects, I think it was uh, number two for me after Vertigo. And I think it's maybe that's not true. Who's my top ten? I think it's a very, I think it's a very good film. I think it's at times a bit stagey. It does feel very much like a play. That is not a problem for me. But if I'm going to compare this with, say, Grand Illusion, Illusion, Grand Illusion will win every time. That's one of my favorite movies of all time. Rules of the Game is, of course, great. I, that's the thing. I don't mean to disparage Sunrise, Man with a Movie Camera, or Rules of the Game. They're all amazing films, but. <laughs> I think Grand Illusion is by far a uh, a more intriguing, and I think he's just doing more with the camera, doing more with story. Rules of the Game is a very, very good movie, but and and if it if you want to have it in the top ten, that's fine. Um, and one thing I don't want to turn this into, although it's tempting to do so, I don't want to turn this into like, well, if you're if you got to have this filmmaker on there, have this. Like, well, they're probably not thinking in those terms, although they might have been a little bit. Um, because I what, what do you mean? I've read I've read like speculation that like rather than choosing which Godard they would put in, they chose to put in like four of them. Like four, there are four Godard, Godard movies in here, and there's zero Lean, for example. There's no Powell. There's no Herzog. You know, it's 
it seems strange to me. And so, and there's a surprising number of, of uh, drier films in there. That's not to say the movies are bad, but it does kind of have that feeling of like, why choose when we can just, you know, there are 50 of these things. Let's put them all in there. I don't know. See, I, di- I disagree with you. I, I would, uh, I would, if Godard made four films that are better than any one, uh, um, Michael Powell film, which he didn't, but if he did, then they should be on the list. <laughs> uh, just because it's in English, if, if, if for no other reason. Uh, but it's... Um, I, I am, I, I, I'm not I sure need if to stop. I... Re- Never mind. What was that? <laughs> I'm going to pull up my top ten that I made, which I should have okay. done beforehand, because I'm going to keep guess referencing it. That's true, yes. I wish that I had kept mine. Yes. But, um, but I did have Black Narcissus on mine. Oh, okay. Um, and I did not have any Godard. I would have put weekend that is my favorite godard film mm-hmm. because i am that's that film a, that came out last year that you yes, so much. No, i am a horribly misanthropic person and weekend speaks to me there's no question about that um well, oh, go ahead while you're doing that i i know i'm gonna get i'm gonna get a lot of hate mail for this but is it time to let eight and a half go oh i am so glad you said that as am i i don't hate the i always movie. yeah i always thought I, the problem was me but i you know i i then this is another thing i was just watching it last night and i thought you know a lot of the stuff that the one character is saying about the about guido's movie that he wants to make in the film really does kind of ring true for this film that it seems kind of pretentious and it doesn't seem to know what it wants to do and it's just sort of you know aimlessly meandering and 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 quirky and arty and what does it add up to and what does it add up to i understand you know, i understand that it's a it's a really great exploration of an artistic process or at least one artist's process and so on and so forth but are there better movies about film have better movies been made before then or since then? I, I actually I point to to Mulholland Drive because I think that Mulholland Drive is in its own way also a film about filmmaking, but it's also because it's David Lynch. It's so much more obscure and oblique and intriguing to me that I, uh, as far as films about film go, I'll take Mulholland Drive over eight and a half any day. Yes, uh, I, w- I go ahead. To me, uh, I'll, I'll let you. I'll, I'll get back to you. <laughs> I'll let you say what you're going to say. I, Thanks, the, the thing about eight and a half, because again, I like eight and a half as well. But the thing about it that I think suffers for me is that I think it's a somewhat outdated vision of masculinity. Hmm. I, I don't. I don't relate to the way that that character relates to women. Yeah, and I mean not. I mean I know that's part of the idea of who he is, but I'm saying even in like a baseline structure you know at, at the, the the fundamentals of his um uh of his of his view uh, of of women is i, I just i i have no connection to him there and i don't even sense. know if that's entirely fellini or if it's sort of italian in general because there's another italian film that stars uh, marcello mastriani it was called uh, divorce italian style uh-huh. which is ostensibly a comedy uh, i didn't care for that movie at all it's you know Marcello is a guy who he's married to a woman and he's tired of her and then there's like his cousin or something his niece or something like that and she's young and hot and and he's scheme, trying to scheme of ways to to get rid of uh, his wife you know so that he you know, he wants to be able to divorce her so that he can marry this younger hotter girl and his wife is just sort of a, a an unpleasant 
sexist stereotype cliche. Uh-huh. She's just kind of shallow, and she's got like little mustache hair on her upper lip, and it's just uh, it just really rubbed me the wrong way. Whereas on the other hand, there's another uh, Italian film from around the same period. I can't remember the director, but it's called Mafioso, mm. which is a, a great film where uh, this guy and his wife, you know, he's you know he lives in the city, and then he's going to meet and go and to, out to the country to visit with his family. And then you there, it sort of feels like it's going to turn into a thing with you know, sort of uncultured stereotypes, but it doesn't. It actually turns into something better. So, but. I, I don't know. This, this, maybe, maybe it's Marcello Mastriani. <laughs> I, I don't know, but th- that's it could be something going on in, in an Italian cinema. I don't want yeah, to yeah, tar it, all it, of those people with the same brush. I mean, it doesn't bother me about Fellini in general because I love uh, Little Savita, which is on here. I even love uh, Evitaloni, which is about, uh, I guess, men behaving badly. It's essentially, Evitaloni is essentially Fellini's The Hangover, right? <laughs> <laughs> I yeah you were gonna uh, say so something. eight and a half okay I've seen it twice I, I did not care for it either time but okay I'm, I, I want to make it clear I like the movie I just I respect the movie it's not unlike two thousand one a space odyssey I respect it it's not my kind of thing uh, and I have put the blame squarely on myself as I so often do um, and uh, and I just put it down to just like like when it shows up at, at number ten I'm just like yeah all right sure <laughs> it's not for me but I will I, I'll I will uh, defer to the larger... These 846 people. Exactly. Who all know more than you do. I'd say that's about right. (laughs) All right. Which, by the way, there's a fun uh, drinking game from last episode. Have a drink every time I say, I'd say that's about right, and you will die of alcohol poisoning. (laughs) Why do you listen back? Um, Just just to punish yourself? (laughs) Well, every once in a while there's an episode... I usually listen to, like, episodes with, like, guests that I really enjoy, but, like, when it's just you and me, like, that one... Um, I don't know. I was because I didn't really remember anything that we had said, and I felt like I feel like I, we didn't cover some of that stuff enough, which is ridiculous for a two and a half hour episode. <laughs> so I went back and listened to it, and I was just like, "Ugh!" I say this all the time. I must have been tired because I couldn't think of anything else to say. Um, uh, I want to use this this uh, real quick before we go back. I want I want to talk about my top ten list because I keep referencing it, and I was wrong earlier when I said Battleship Potemkin was high in my top ten. It is uh, my number ten. But here, oh, so here's my list from one to ten: Vertigo, The Rules of the Game, Black Narcissist, The Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie, The Young Girls of Rochefort, There We Blood, Lawrence of Arabia, In the Mood for Love, Picnic at Hanging Rock, and The Battleship Potemkin. Okay. Well, I've got mine here, and by okay. the way, I wish my last name wasn't Smith. I'm sure you had no problem finding yours. You don't have to scroll down at all. Um, <laughs> but uh, and and I will uh, stop because there. I will stop halfway down this list because there is a movie that I think absolutely belongs on the sight and sound list and it is infuriating yeah sure infuriating that it is not is it the discreet charm of the bourgeoisie that's not the one is it black narcissist no although don't get me wrong like both of those are wonderful Uh, 10 is the wizard of Oz which there could be an argument made that that should be on there too Um, it was at some point right in the past lists was the wizard of Oz on there I don't think so it might have been on uh... all right on a director's list, maybe. Oh, maybe that's something. Uh, nine was 2001 A Space Odyssey. See, I can think outside myself. Eight <laughs> was Lawrence of Arabia. That's one I'll, that I'll fight for. I feel like that belongs on that list. Uh, mm-hmm. Seven is Apocalypse Now. It's on there. Six is Metropolis. Number five, Night of the Hunter is one of the best movies of all time. Mm. All right? It is. I wouldn't, I'm not sure if I would say it was perfect, but I'm, the more I see it, which I've seen probably four times now, 
and this last time was on the big screen for the first time. And that I'm starting to group with Vertigo, Citizen Kane, Apocalypse Now. Like, it, it is this weird, genius, fever dream of a movie that is astounding, like, in every sense of the word. It is a shame that Charles Lawton made no more films. I wonder if perhaps... Or maybe it isn't, because maybe all his films would have suffered in who comparison. Knows? <laughs> who knows? But I do think it's a shame, if for no other reason than because when people are thinking of great filmmakers, they will not think of him. Right. Because he's only made one. They think of him as an actor, and that's fine. But he made one of the best movies of all time. What, what I literally think is one of the ten greatest movies ever made, and it's not on here, and that is a horrible, horrible shame. Moving on. Uh, number four is Vertigo. Number three was The General. Two is Bicycle Thieves, and one was Citizen Kane. So... I agree with that's the thing is my you know I agree with a lot of the stuff on this list. Well, I want to if um, you want to hear my top ten list, go right ahead. Yes, I don't have one. Oh, ah, damn! I, I was hoping you'd. No, you know what? I and this is something that uh, a lot of people, especially now that I've gotten into podcasting about movies and I talk with people about movies, I, I get that question now more often than I ever have at any time in my life. Is that you know what are what are your favorite movies? What do you think are the best movies? I have never in my life put together a list of what I think are the greatest movies or what are my favorite movies. I, I can't do it. I don't know. There's just, there's so much stuff that I love. It would be so difficult for me to rank things, to leave things out. Uh, it's, it's just impossible. Just last year, just as an experiment, I try, I put together a top 10 directors list and even at that, every time I look at it now, I cringe. It's like, well, why, I, I didn't put in this guy. I didn't put in that guy. What am I doing? I'm, did you do that I'm, as I'm a, a failure. of our list? No. Oh, no, it's right. just something that I did because I, I, it was just on my mind. I, I guess maybe uh, Rudy, uh, Rudy Obias, uh, my co-host on the Autorcast, it was maybe it was something we were talking we'll about. We'll get to your plugs at the end. <laughs> and it inspired me to, to do that. But uh, uh, all, I will know, all I can say definitively is that my all-time favorite film is The Right Stuff. Oh, that's a great movie. Other than that, I just I can't go any further. <laughs> that is one of my all-time favorite books of all, uh, of all time. Yeah, that's yeah. a great book too. Yeah. By the way, uh, we talked about speaking of cringing. I talked before about the painful space between ten and eleven. Yeah. The number eleven on my list would be Raise the Red Lantern, and it pained me so much to not be able to put Raise the Red Lantern on mine. Number but eleven on my list was The Last Laugh, and the number yeah. twelve was There Will Be Blood. Um, and by the way, that is not my list of favorites. That is the list of what I think are the best. Based okay. on the things that I have seen, yeah, the, the, there has to be a distinction between Jaws and Super Troopers. Right? Those are the two. Those, <laughs> but, but, uh, I rewatched Super Troopers the other night. It's perfect. Holds up. Yeah, that movie is funny. Have you seen it last? <laughs> no, I never have. Oh, that is funny. And it's a and that that seems to be the only one by those guys. A broken lizard. I, I or whatever saw. It is. I saw Club Dread, and I did not did not like. I would say it was dreadful. Um, Watch out! But I didn't see Beer League or The Slam and Salmon, and yeah. I know. But didn't some of those guys do that Baby Makers movie? That's that's yeah. Jay, just out now? I don't know how to say it. Ch- uh, Chandrasekhar, um, yeah, uh, directed it, and I think I'll go on YouTube. I'll be right um, back. <laughs> Kevin Heffernan, uh, other people yeah, is in, in it. it. Maybe some other some other ones, but it's Noted not. It's not a Broken Lizard yeah. film. The ba- right. Baby Makers. Noted for getting uh, zero stars from Roger Ebert. Uh, the no, Baby Makers. Yeah. Ah. Uh, now my. My 10 favorite, because I have my phone in front of me, which I never do. Sorry, everybody. Uh, 10 is the last laugh. And then the third man. Okay, third man should be on this sight and sound list. Holy crap, I just noticed it's not yeah. there. 
Uh, eight is the Maltese Falcon, what then the Bicycle hell? Thieves, Night of the Hunter, Network, Nashville, 12 Angry Men, Jaws, Citizen Kane. So, okay. Um, well, what I want to talk about, um, we, and we've definitely danced around a lot, is um, not just films, but directors who aren't represented in this top 50. Because we talked about Michael Powell. I made reference to uh, Louis Bunuel. Yeah, uh, not being on here, which I think is is uh, kind of shameful. He's one of my all time favorites. Top of my list here of the movies that should be on here is Unchi and Andalou. Like clearly, they're not opposed with with Lajete being number fifty, uh, tied for fifty. Um, they're not opposed to putting short films on there, and Unchi and Andalou is like one of the most striking movies you'll ever see, and uh, it seems strange that it didn't wind up on here. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I I personally obviously would put Discreet Charm. Uh, the exterminating angel is also um, uh, one of the one of the best. West, any yeah, that's, that's my favorite of the yeah. Bunuel films, the exterminating angel. Have oh. you seen the Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode, Older and Far Away? I've never seen a single episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Well, there's an episode uh, from season six uh, called Older and Far Away, or is it season seven? I, I can't remember. Um, I think it's six, uh, where it's clearly an homage to the exterminating angel, where. Uh, everyone gets over gets to over to Buffy's house for her birthday party, and then someone makes a wish to a in front of a vengeance demon, and then suddenly no one at the party can, can leave. leave the room. Yeah, oh. they, I think it, it, they expanded to the whole house. Oh, okay, but they still can't leave Just to break things up. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Okay. Okay. Well, so filmmakers uh, that are not represented. Yeah, anyone, anyone you would. You know what? Uh, if there was any, the, I definitely they would probably most of them would be like sort of the. Directors from the classic Hollywood era, guys like uh, William Wyler. I know mm-hmm. Billy Wilder is on the list, but uh, uh, mm. Howard, let's see, Howard Hawks is not on this list? No. Mm. Howard Hawks is not on this list. John Ford is, yeah. uh, fortunately. That's, that's fine with me. Uh, but overall, see, I think that if there was one kind of Hollywood movie that you could put into the top ten that would really just sort of Sort of, sort of stand up is standing the test of time in terms of that classic Hollywood machinery, an example of the studio system, which has influenced so many filmmakers around the world, down through the ages. Uh, a shining example of studio filmmaking at its finest, uh, I would be kind of stuck between Singing in the Rain, which uh, is in the top 50, but not in the top 10. It was mm-hmm. once. And one that is on the, uh, the Film School Rejects list, Casablanca. Yeah, I think Casablanca really is just those two movies, Casablanca and Singing in the Rain, really are sort of the epitome of that Dream Factory product that really transcends the term product. Yeah, and Michael Curtiz not not on here. No, there's no Michael Curtiz. I, I I'm kind of not surprised that there's no Michael Curtiz. Right, but it would be great I if you, you could get yeah. something like Casablanca up in here or uh, Adventures of Robin Hood. But again, they don't like action movies. <laughs> I know that's not that's that, a gr- that's a great movie. Yeah, like, I know it's, it's not what we think of as action movies now because it's not you know it's, an it's, not a, movie. it's not a Jason Bourne movie or anything. Yeah, somewhere along the line, adventure films became action films. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so there was action in adventure films, but these days it seems like all the adventure has kind of gone out of it, and it's mostly just action. At, th- at this oh, point, adven- point, adventure it was a good adventure film usually means fantasy. Like they'll right, they'll incorporate the like an adventure quality to fantasy films, but there is no real uh, well, except no. maybe like Journey to the New Journey to the Center of the Earth movies. Those are a little adventurous. No, I I think that like John Frankenheimer's film The Train is classified as an adventure film. Hmm. 
and there's there's adventure. You got John Moreau and Burt Lancaster running from Nazis. But when was that? Trying to foil trains. 1964. I'm saying now. Yeah. What 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 are what are newer adventure films? Again, Lord of the Lord of the Rings. Lord movies. of the Rings. I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's definitely. Honey, I shook the kids. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's an adventure movie. And that's I've, one, by the way, that I am. I don't want to revisit because I have such a fond memory of it. And I'm the straight sure story. It's... There you go. Sure, that's an it's adventure. A, movie. It's a very slow paced adventure, yeah. but the guy is definitely going outside his comfort zone. Yeah, <laughs> it's as exciting as he can get. Um, I love the straight story. I don't mean to. Uh, I adore that movie. Um, it's so good. Everybody should see it. Uh, okay, let's get back to the list itself. This is this is a very loose episode, and I'm kind yeah, of yeah. enjoying that. But I, I wonder if it's become a little too uh, indulgent on all our parts. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> Talk about our own personal favorites and stuff. Uh, I, but I'm the one who uh, instigated all that. So, uh, you sure are. I should be the one to yank it back. Um, uh, okay, a, a thing I, I, that keeps coming up in this conversation with me is the difference between, th- uh, you know, I, I guess because of my age, the things that were important to me at a certain time are the things that I knew or understood, like Bicycle Thieves or, or the Pledge of Allegiance, you know. Um, but I feel like there was a time in college and for years after where I was the only person I knew who had seen Jean Delman, uh, 23. I, I don't know. Can I say the whole name? No. Yeah, we usually um, just call it Jean Delman. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't want to give away her address because then everybody will show up. <laughs> right. <laughs> Is that me because of my age that the people in my sort of peer group didn't come to know it until for, uh, a little more recently or has that movie's reputation uh, been bolstered in the past half decade or so I gotta think that it's sort of come up the ranks in terms of its reputation because I actually hadn't heard of it myself until it appeared in the Criterion Collection and that was when I had first gotten my Netflix subscription and at that what I do with Criterion titles that I'm on the fence about, I'll rent them from Netflix and watch them. And if I like it, then at some point in the future, I'll go out and buy it. And that was the case with uh, uh, with Gene Dealman. I I fell in love with that movie right away. I thought it was it was mesmerizing. Mm-hmm. I in a way that I, I still can't quite describe or put my finger on. But at the same time, I know that it's a movie that a lot of people just wouldn't want anything to do with because it's just oh i can attest to that i, I didn't mean to like <laughs> brag to, to say like oh i saw it and they had and they i happened to see it because uh doc films at the university of chicago when i uh, lived there um which was an awesome program i don't know if it's still running but they showed really amazing stuff although uncomfortable seats which is not a good thing for a Ooh. film like this which is uh i mean how, how long is it three, three, hour, three hours three. and 20 minutes three hours yeah. and 20 minutes yep um no intermission uh, but yes, I read. I, I saw that it was. You know, I would look at what was going to play it at Doc Films, and I saw that, and I hadn't heard of it. I read the description. I was like, "That sounds cool." I ended up going alone because I could not convince anyone to come see a two hundred minute movie with me. So yes, it is. Uh, it is. It is a tough sell. Yeah, uh, and I'm, I'm a guy who rails against movies being too long. But this is not a movie that's too long. It's as long as it should be. I I don't think I have ever. I had ever heard of it. Before the, uh, no, I think I had heard of it, but I didn't really know anything about it. Uh, and then the list came out, and, and that's the as we've said before. Like one of the good things about like the Oscars and lists like these is that you know a movie pops up and you're like, I've not heard of that, but apparently it's okay. I will at least look into it. Mm-hmm. And I in looking into it, it's ex- oh, I regularly like I've I've talked to friends in the past. Like, wouldn't it be awesome just to have a movie of like just a couple like just their 
just them spending the day together or just like stuff that everyone would say it's like well what kind of conflicts like just the conflicts that you encounter throughout the day uh-huh. and it just and people like no that's boring and it's like <laughs> i don't eyes know just glaze sounds over. pretty good to me I, it's and it sounds like that's what it is and that's and that's why it has to be so long i kind of love that it's that long and as i mentioned i did get a a, a hulu plus um account so that i could watch all these and uh that that rush to the top because it sounds i mean i you know it's a time commitment yeah but yeah. i'm i'm super excited about it and i'm not even upset that they that they stole my idea <laughs> and that is now, the second film is like your idea after Shaun of the dead yeah <laughs> oh, really? and cold weather <laughs> oh okay as far as i can tell i think that's also the only film directed by a woman on this list oh wow Hmm. Because uh, there's a couple in here that, honestly, I'm not entirely familiar with. So. I could have sworn a league of their own is on here. So, no, you're right. You're right. <laughs> oh, no, you, no. you guys are missing number 35, Something's Gotta Give. Uh, I'm sorry, that yeah. says uh, Satan Tango. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, but I, I don't even know really if that should be uh, a consideration. If if we owe anybody, the, you know, putting more female filmmakers or more minority filmmakers or whatever on the list because this is something uh i was actually having a discussion with uh, with somebody about this just recently where they were talking about uh my podcast and uh the the comment that i got was that, that they thought well there's a lot of a lot of white guys on, on the show that we're talking about and for a little while there i was actually giving that consideration like it means something and then I came to the conclusion that no, it doesn't. Because uh, should we be giving more women opportunities to make films today? Yes, we should. Should we be giving minorities, uh, so to speak, more opportunities to make films today and tell their stories? Yes, we should. But that's not what my show is about. My show is about me talking about the movie the great movies that i love and if it just so happens that the overwhelming majority of those movies as the overwhelming majority of movies on this list are directed by white guys well so be it because that's about these movies from the past and obviously it was a, an overwhelmingly white male dominated industry for a long time yeah, and this is something right. else that we'll probably see changing in the future over time but should we be giving consideration to women and minorities, giving greater consideration to their work now for this list, or should we just give them more opportunities to make great films that could get on the list in the future? I say option B. Yeah, it's we got we got some of this with uh, our, I think all, actually all of the not not the movies, but like the directors and the characters list that we that we did, which is uh, you know listener submitted. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only uh, African American character on that list was Mookie from <laughs> Do the Right Thing, which is a great character. Um, and then as far as the directors, I think there was I think there was one or two uh, women on there. I and I think Spike Lee was on there, but I don't think there were a lot of like minorities, and there weren't a lot of women. And you and I commented on that that it's like that is unfortunate. And and my my first instinct, as it always is, is to be like, oh geez, someone's gonna think that we're a certain whatever when mm-hmm. they look at this list. Like, well, first off, it's it's user submitted, and what's more, it's like <laughs> I blame society. Uh, it's like it's th- there. Are, there's no question. <laughs> well, what that does Mo Sizlek say? You know what I bring? You know what I blame this on the downfall of society. society. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
and that's the thing is it's it's one of those yeah I, I i say the same like with like with uh, mookie now there's no question that there have been other uh really fascinating like african-american characters uh alonzo harris in training day being one that i think is amazing yeah. um but uh but that's the thing is when you think of like really iconic characters often they are not given to minorities and right. that is a shame but it would be disingenuous to to like try to make sure your list looks a certain way and maybe yes. in doing so you put an inferior not an inferior but like a movie that you don't consider to be the best yeah we're going to throw uh, in well, shaft in, in the best character <laughs> damn right but then, well let me let me bring up this though that i think is kind of a problem okay maybe we'll see what you guys think there's only I'm doing a quick count so I might have missed something but uh, six Asian films in this entire top 50 including Path of Panchali which is Indian which is Asia that counts as Asian yes Uh, but I feel like people don't think people don't think of India as Asia so I had to say including Path of Panchali Um, do you count close up as being Asian it's Iranian oh okay okay I wouldn't say that was Asian though it's in Asia okay but it's uh, its own thing but no you are talking to my point, which is non-European descent. So, yes, right. let's go beyond Asian and say non-European and close-up does get involved. It's still less than a fifth of this list. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's um, that's not European. Uh, is that a problem? Is that a bias? Do you guys think? Or, well, or, or is it just the fact that, uh, you know, cinema was sort of, I guess, more or less conv- invented concurrently in the United States and France uh, and that's where it where it grew up, and that's so that's where the earlier earlier best films. Are and it's be. a lot of these films that came out, of, particularly a lot of films that came out of Hollywood, that inspired filmmakers all over the world. Mm-hmm. So it's it's sort of inevitable that you're going to give more uh, attention to films from America, and probably to a, maybe a lesser extent, uh, films from European nations. But I wonder. There's a couple from Ozu, which is great. There's a couple from uh, uh, Kurosawa. Are there two Ozu? Yeah, there's there's Tokyo Tokyo Story and Late Spring. Spring. Oh, Late Spring. Yeah, I missed that one. Yeah, Um, and and from Kurosawa, there's uh, Seven Samurai and Rashomon. But I've been watching uh, uh, Cheers lately. (laughs) And um, in multiple episodes, either Frasier or Lilith refer to uh, Kurosawa, and they say the Seven Samurai. (laughs) <laughs> they say samurai like they're over i don't know what that pronunciation is but uh i feel like it's some sort of in joke that they must have come up with to say samurai and uh i love it and that's so that's how i say that now um but i mean i know there's but, definitely some people out there who might say that uh for instance the um the film the human condition by uh kobayashi it's like a nine hour film uh-huh. uh maybe that should be in there although i'm actually not sure if that could be in there as an as an entire nine hour piece, due to one of the other rule changes that took place this time around, because if you look at the list from two thousand two, you, the last list, you'll notice that the Godfather and the Godfather Part Two are together right. mm-hmm. on the list. I think at like number four or number six, something along those lines. Four, they're at, the Godfather and the Godfather Part Two together are at number four on the 2002 Sight and Sound list. But uh, the rule was uh, uh, changed for the 2012 list to say that films sort of a- in a series or you know, of a, uh, in, a, in a group like the Godfather films, or another example would be like uh, Christoph Kieslowski's Three Colors trilogy. Mm-hmm. You can't vote them all in t- 
together as a big chunk. So right. if you wanted to just put in The Godfather, which you'll notice is on, on the list at number 21, whereas The Godfather Part 3 is at number 31. Part two. Part two. Part two. Part two. Yeah, easy there. Yeah. Part, Godfather part, part three is I'm nowhere to be part found. Part three would be would come in at fifty one. Yeah, See, um, and that seems it's like, in the margins. Me, uh, that seems like kind of a strange rule because, like, Three Colors, for example, that was meant to be a trilogy. Whereas yes. Godfather, that was one movie, and then they decided and then they to said, make sequel. This is making so much money. Um, let's do another one. Well, let me let me ask this though. A couple things. Um, because you were talking about uh, the, you know, yes, today we should be giving more chances to women, and today we should give, should be giving more chances to minorities. What I would like to do is look at that eight, list of eight hundred and forty-six critics and see how many of them are of European descent. Because, That's a good point too. Uh, I, I, w- I would hope it's not as biased as this list is, but I fear that it might be. I actually suspect that it is not uh, as yeah. biased, because again, Sight and Sound is, they, they really do regard themselves as sort of the premier and most influential publication, and they do they don't think of themselves just as a, a British cinema publication they think of themselves as you know, being purveyors of international cinema. So I, I really have to think that they would be going out of their way to find representative samples from all over the world. I very much hope you're right. I did have I did have a question because I don't know that much about uh, Asian film like as far as the the culture of filmmaking and film going in China and Korea and Japan and that sort of thing. But based on uh, I I go all the way back to our uh, discussion of uh, Zhang Yimou. Um, I know that some of the stuff oh, that by, you've... By the way, my personal top ten list had one Asian film on it, so I, that's one-tenth of my list, so I, maybe I shouldn't be complaining too yeah, much. Yeah, come on, jerk. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I told you, Razor Red Lantern, right outside the it's box. A, box that's base. a wonderful film. Um, but the, the culture of filmmaking in some of, in some of these countries seems to be somewhat... Not, maybe not so much anymore, but, it, you know when you compare it to like the United States or France or Germany or Russia or something like that, uh, it seems to be a bit more, the only word I can think of though, I'm not sure if it totally applies is stifled. It's a bit more stifled. Maybe not everybody had the kind of access. Like if, if you get oh, one, time. yeah. Like if you get one filmmaker, like a Kurosawa, um, or a, um, Ozu? like a Wong Kar Wai or a Ozu or a, a Zhang Yimou, um, it's like, all right, we've got our filmmaker, and he gets and like he gets the budgets. He's not that the state like apportions like the the money for it or anything like that. But like uh, that's where the money will go. Um, and and you'll find this uh, a little bit. Not that I know a lot a whole lot about uh, Indian film either. But you'll find this that like there are some filmmakers that like they are Spielberg and every other director is considered Brett Ratner. No, not somebody that is actively hated. Uh, who is a forgettable director? Um, F. Rob Gary Cohen. Gray. Okay, <laughs> okay, Rob Cohen or F. Gary Gray. Yeah, Everybody else is that, and then there's one or maybe two that are just astounded and astounding, and they get all the opportunities. I think F. Gary Gray was a better one. <laughs> I don't know if that's entirely true. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure that Japan had a fairly thriving uh, film industry. I think they still do today. Because, you know, it's not like Kurosawa was the only guy. Because you did right. also have Ozu. And you had uh, Kobayashi. You had all the guys who were making uh, the, the Godzilla movies, which were extraordinarily popular. So, and they had two or three studios. So, I, I think that it's just a lot of the stuff doesn't get through to us 
here yeah. in the United States. And that's, that's not just from Japan. That's from all over the world. We are exporting our crap all over the place. There's no escape from it. And that's just not just movies. That's just everything that we do and everything that we have, all our, all our crappiest music and all of our goofy TV shows and our blue jeans and whatever. So you say this, but, but, but I feel like I, I want to high-five somebody. Yeah. <laughs> but I wonder, I mean, I have to assume the... You know, Japanese film critics who studied film theory and criticism at Japanese film schools uh, were shown these movies that we don't we don't see. I would I, imagine so. So I wonder why there aren't. I guess well, I wonder why there aren't more movies I haven't heard of on this list. But also, yeah. the, but it's undeniable the influence of Western cinema, not necessarily American cinema, but Western cinema on the rest of the world, particularly yeah. throughout the 20, 20th century. You know. Kurosawa has gone on record numerous times stating that John Ford was an enormous influence on right. him. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that you know, he's not the only example that you could point to for other filmmakers in other parts of the world saying that they were influenced by Western cinema in, in some way or another. And that's the thing is as time goes on and we have more international filmmakers coming to the fore and doing great work and making amazing movies, not just you know filmmakers from other countries, but also more female filmmakers making their mark and doing just incredible work i'm sure that over time and it's going to take a while but over time we will probably see the overall cultural makeup of this list change i i I hope so because i mean uh i'm going to keep harping on these ideas but like uh yeah there are only six asian films and and one middle eastern film Uh, well are there any like south america that's what i was getting to i mean uh, i mean yeah you say i mean I, i can sort of I guess predict the argument that that their um, cinema is younger, um, but I mean, I am Cuba and Memories of Underdevelopment are, you know, both uh, I think as old as some of the stuff mm-hmm. on this list. So I I wonder why those type of films don't show up. The other thing that that gets me, and this is any any list that uh, is discussed, um, will be you'll wind up talking about like certain genres that are favored. Um, and it's worth noting, I mean, there are not a lot of documentaries on here. In fact, how many of these would you consider to be documentaries? Uh, Man of the Movie Camera is sort of one, um, but not even uh, like a totally straightforward one. Uh, Histoire du Cinema, the the Godard one, that's that's definitely one. Yeah. But like, you know, there's no Maisel Brothers um, on here. Fahrenheit 9-11. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no question. (laughs) At number 15. Um, but part like one like there like and this this might go to the film's relative youth but like i'm of the opinion that at some point maybe a little bit down the line i think hoop dreams is going to be on this list and should be sure. it's it's like such an amazing film but also like there's no mazel's brothers on here um and uh, i'm not, i don't know if i i never know if i'm pronouncing that correctly by the way but sounds um, like to me mazel's okay. it's like mazel's but with an a yeah, so and thus more delightful, <laughs> but uh, but just documentary in general. In general, like why do you think there was? Why do you think there's a general bias against documentary? I don't think it's that they don't like it, but why did why are, why were people more inclined to go with narrative films? Uh, I think what we're um, my guess would be something that that Wes brought up. Maybe we should get back to is the idea of uh, uh, how how old. Does the film need to be? Because yeah. I mean, yes, there's things like Mulholland Drive and In the Mood for Love, but they are, you know, anomalies. Um, most of these people are thinking 25 years or older, and 
uh, you know, obviously documentary's been around, you know, uh, a, a lot longer than that, but I, I think it is, documentary is more, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, ascendant in the last quarter century. I guess so, yeah. Would, would you agree? Yeah, that, that, that sounds about right. But also, I mean, how many documentaries have inspired people's love of cinema as opposed to fiction features? And I'm not saying that you know, that documentaries can't inspire anybody, mm-hmm. right. but I I think it's probably safe to say that in a lot of the, 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 it's the fiction films that are sort of pushing more artistic boundaries than documentaries are. And they're sort of doing more to inspire people, not just to to get into movies and appreciate them, but also to make them. So that might have something to do with it as well. I don't know. I found capturing the Freedmans to be pretty inspirational. I was inspired to not touch anybody. (laughs) (laughs) But in all seriousness, I mean, the Thin Blue Line is, I think... No question. Yeah, Errol Morris, I think, uh, at some point will show up on a a list like this. Mm -hmm. But uh, And that's the... as, As time goes on and in future decades... I'm sure that there will there will be somewhat more diversity. Maybe it won't be like significantly more. Maybe it's going to take a really long time. And not only that, but I think that there's always a chance as well that the top 10 itself may pretty much stay like this in, you know, yeah. to one degree or another because these are the big ones. These are the ones that are sort of timeless in their influence on on film lovers and filmmakers. And even if you know, you see if a recent film that you go, wow, this film is really awesome, then somebody can point you to in, in another direction and say, well, that was inspired by this movie over here. Yeah. And then you see, oh, okay, well, this is like the big thing. And in de- definitely that's uh, – uh, Citizen Kane is sort of like that for a lot of people. There's a lot of people who can, you can say, you know, well, I saw this movie and it was really great. And then I heard that it was sort of – this is mm-hmm. something that was sort of done first in Citizen Kane. And then I saw Citizen Kane and then I was really blown away. So – yeah. It, it could be that no matter what happens in the future, because if you look at the lists that they've had uh, down through the, the decades since 1952, a lot of these same movies keep showing up all the time. Mm-hmm. You're always seeing uh, Citizen Kane. You're, you're seeing Vertigo rather a lot. Uh, the Searchers has been in there several times. So yeah. uh, Eight and a Half is, is in there I, uh, I, a lot. I think you're probably right to some extent, but I... I kind of hope that you're not. Uh, like, I guess, I, I don't know that I would be going to, you know, either going to the theater or at home watching um, as many as a half dozen movies in, in, a, in a week. I know that's that you're a, big, a bigger film. Uh, I, watch, I watch TV, too. So anyway, uh, but I don't know if I'd be watching movies every day if a part of me didn't think maybe the next one is going to be something that I've never seen before and is going to be... Uh, you know, going to end uh, be rock, rocket up to the top of the greatest movies of all time, which is something that I feel like there will be blood was like it kind of came along and like and not that I don't know to some extent. I guess 2007 was the year that you and I started this podcast, and mm-hmm. then, and then there will be blood uh, came out that year, and, and and No Country for Old Men, but I think more so there will be blood. It was kind of a resurgence in my interest in cinema. If you mm-hmm. look at you know the. Uh, if if you uh, you know if I had been doing the podcast for the two years prior to 2007, you would have heard a lot of like oh, I haven't seen that uh, I haven't mm-hmm. seen that. And there's still a lot of stuff from '04 to '07 that I well seven I never was saw. a great year in general yeah and uh, and there was a lot of like filmmakers like really es- like that I think that's the year that like Paul Thomas Anderson became established as a huge force I, I mean he was well known before then but like 
that uh, he that's that's the same year that two filmmakers that you weren't a huge that you weren't a huge fan of solidified themselves in your mind. The other one being David Fincher. Yes, and so like one in one year these filmmakers that all these other people have been saying like, oh, I really like them. And you're like, ah, they're not really not for me. And then yeah. suddenly it's like, well, these are some of the best movies um, I've ever seen. I loved Punch Drunk Love. So I had warmed okay, up to P.T. Anderson a little bit more. Yeah. But yeah, David Fincher, uh, Zodiac blew me away. But what I'm saying is, yeah, I would like to see Zodiac somewhere on this list in, in years to come. But I would like to see, you know, um, uh, yeah, Brazilian films from the 1980s and, and uh I don't know. Yeah, the Polish films we were talking about. I, I, I'd like to see stuff from the '80s and the '90s start showing up, just so it doesn't get this impression. It doesn't start to give this impression that like everything's been done and that we've yeah. already reached the pinnacle, and everything else is just an echo. I don't. I, I don't. And maybe that's true, but I wouldn't be a film lover if I believed that. Well, certainly, I think that there will be blood is as good an indication as any that there are still people here and now who have the ability to astonish and inspire us so it stands to reason that that's something that can keep going maybe it's going to be uh fewer and farther between but i do believe that we're still going to get those really thrilling moments in the future for probably for the rest of our lives and i I, like i said i'm interested to see what it'll look like in 30 years um just because at that point like i don't mean to put it this way but like a lot of the people that are making the list now will be gone. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean to say, like, oh, these old people, they're keeping us down. It's not like that. There's Get a out of the way. There's a wonderful list. Yeah, you're in the <laughs> way of progress. And by progress, I mean Pulp Fiction. Um, <laughs> but, like, but Pulp Fiction is a movie that I, I fully expect will be on the list in 30 years. But that's the thing is that that movie there i'm i'm sure there are plenty of critics that saw that and like this is new i haven't seen any i haven't seen anything like this in a long time although <laughs> you've seen a lot of things that contributed to it um yeah but that's the thing is i think once the generation comes into this group of of critics once the generation that like was so impacted by Pulp Fiction and Fargo and uh, uh, Goodfellas to a certain extent. You know, I mean, Taxi Driver's on here, but I, people, though I'm not a huge fan of Goodfellas, like I think Goodfellas is one that for many people like this has changed the way I look at movies. Yeah, um, you kind of revised that, your opinion on Goodfellas. It's a great movie, but I just, I, I don't. I, I think that you've got a little bit of a sort of like, uh, it's sort of like a love the band hate the fans thing and you're letting your impression of the fans get in the way no no not at all because a lot of people do like Goodfellas for the wrong reasons not at all there are plenty of things where I hate the fans (laughs) and I love the band Big Lebowski uh, (laughs) but like the band Tool (laughs) no that's more me I do like Tool but But, um, no it's just it's uh, Goodfellas I think is a is a very good movie but I never feel particularly engaged by any of uh, those characters but it's a wonderful film Yeah. uh, another thing I want to say about the list and and, because we keep on coming back to this idea of sort of how is it going to going to change most of the movies on this list are things that from a sort of like you know catholic moral standpoint i would be perfectly comfortable watching with my mom it, do you know what i mean like yeah. there's not stuff like pulp fiction or or something like caligula <laughs> well uh i've never seen caligula but um last tango in paris you know this yeah. a movie well, that contempt uh, yeah, and then and, you want to watch Contempt with your mom. And Breathless, I wouldn't watch with my mom or, or Apocalypse Now. Um, but I'd say most of these are sort of within that 
I, I don't say I, you know not that these are all like you wouldn't approved call them by safe. yeah they're not pro- approved by the Hayes Code or anything but they're they're not um, outre I guess in in, uh, in the way that films have become in the I mean really since the sixties and, and and beyond mm-hmm. well let's uh, let's talk about the biggest thing about this list at least oh, yeah. for we, me anyway we, we, and and we haven't actually. Talked it. We, I haven't actually gone through the the top ten. But, yeah, let's uh, do that, and then we'll talk gonna, about this big thing, and then we'll and wrap we'll it up. we'll we'll do a countdown, do it countdown style. All at, right. At number ten is uh, a Fellini's eight and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, number nine is uh, it's Dreyer, right? Carl yeah. Theodore Dreyer's yeah. The Passion of Joan of Arc, which is a beautiful film. I have not seen it. Oh, uh, yeah. you'll you'll love it. Uh, number eight is uh, Man with a Movie Camera, uh, the Russian filmmaker Vertov. Number seven is John Ford's The Searchers, which uh, uh, I am thrilled and delighted about. I watched that movie again today. That out of all the movies in this top ten, The Searchers is probably the one that is most rewatchable for me. Hmm. I, I love John Ford. I love westerns, uh, and really, it, if watching the movie in a crowd is really it's it's all I can do to not be like the guy at the the concert who's singing along at the top of his lungs with because because i will do that if you if you don't stop me well before you move on let's all answer that question most most rewatchable for me in the top 10 is um honestly probably going to be the rules of the game oh really okay i because i find it funny it's funny and that's i think that's what i look for most i'd say most of the time most of the movies that i return to again and again are in some way funny to me yeah and i think rules of the game is funny uh, for me, probably Citizen Kane. It's either that or The Searchers. Uh, I like The Searchers a lot. There is a uh, there's like a love story subplot that I that never did it for me. Um, but uh, I understand, the, given the time and all that, like that that was somewhat of an expectation. Uh, but all the stuff with uh, Ethan Edwards, Ethan mm-hmm. Edwards, right? Okay, everything with Ethan um, and just the and the racism and all that, like. Uh, I love and I respond to not racism, <laughs> but you know what I mean. By the way, there's um, comedy in the searchers too, which is oh, something somebody's fiddle. <laughs> somebody's oh, fiddle. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I remember, I think you and I watched it for the first time when we together, were living together. Yeah. And that is not a scene you expect. That's a very, it's kind of a modern idea that in the midst of a fight, somebody stands up and is like somebody's fiddle. And just, it, it's astounding. Uh, but the thing is the fact that like, there is that little subplot that, that tends to bother me. I probably, would say Citizen Kane is more rewatchable for me than The Searchers. And The Searchers is probably the closest thing on this top ten list to an action movie. Uh-huh. There's definitely yeah. some, some uh, action-y sequences to it. Yeah. Uh, number six is uh, Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey. Uh, number five is uh, the aforementioned Sunrise, A Song of Two Humans. Uh, number four is uh, The Rules of the Game. Number three. I was wondering if you were going to say it in French, but no. I wouldn't even know how to pronounce it. No, I, I'll have to get on YouTube again. <laughs> uh, number three is uh, Ozu's uh, Tokyo Story. Uh, I'm perfectly fine with this. I, I I adore that film. It's so heartbreaking. I I love it. And uh, the the big thing here is that mm-hmm. because again, since 1962, Citizen Kane has always topped this list. Always. 62, 72, 82, 92, 2002. Five lists in a row. Citizen Kane has dominated. This year, no more. Orson Welles' <laughs> Citizen Kane is at numero two, and the number one movie on the Sight and Sound uh, top ten list is Alfred Hitchcock's 1958 film Vertigo, which is there's another film that has been on the list uh, up and down several times throughout the decades, and 
again, this is the thing that I had a feeling that this is why they shook up the the procedures as for as to how they they got these numbers in terms of inviting hundreds more people in the door to to vote. I think this is exactly what Sight and Sound was going for is to shake things up and boy, they succeeded. Because yeah. Citizen Kane is now number two. And I will say right out front, I disagree with that. I think Citizen Kane is a better film than Vertigo. Vertigo is a great film. Uh, the, I got to see it when uh, it was restored, uh, when Robert Harris and James Katz restored it, and it was released into theaters in 70 millimeter in 1995. My girlfriend at the time took me to see it in the theater. I was blown away. It's, it's a magnificent film, but it's not even my favorite Hitchcock film. I don't think it's his best hip film. And I don't think it's better than Citizen Kane. Uh, well, I think I'll disagree that uh, I do think it's Hitchcock's best film. As far as whether or not it's better than Citizen Kane, I don't know. All I know is I like it more than Citizen Kane. Um, Jerk. <laughs> but uh, I, I do have a sort of theory that I just formulated uh, as to why um, why Vertigo uh, has unseated Citizen Kane. Because they are they are both stories of obsession mm-hmm. um but i i think uh, uh you know i'm not saying one's better than the other but citizen kane takes an approach where it it does let you understand charles foster kane and um uh and and you know see how, how he started out as a likable you know a likable guy and became this darker monster but there's a certain uh remove you know there's a certain it, you're, you're looking at it sort of externally, whereas I think um, Vertigo puts you more in the skin of, uh, and I can't remember the character's name, Jimmy Stewart's. Scotty. Scotty. Um, puts you more in his skin, so when he becomes uh, darker, and maybe this is just a, a function of it being Jimmy Stewart, who's such a so much more an everyman than, than uh, Orson Welles ever was, Um but I, I think so. When he goes from when he becomes darker, it has sort of vertigo. I think has sort of an ickier feel to me. Like it gets under my skin a little yeah. bit more. And I just wonder if um, the the antihero has become uh, common enough and acceptable enough that now vertigo is more like the movies we watch now Be, because. Um, because you, you, because Charles Foster Kane isn't really an anti-hero because he's not the hero of the film. If that yeah no he is he uh, he's the subject we never understand him like right. he is he is a mystery to us. We may understand things about him, but we never understand him. Like the very like the reveal of what Rosebud is, people still debate what that actually means, mm-hmm. and that's worth noting. Right. Uh, and I would right. say. I'll, I'll I'll talk a little bit about this because I've gotten a lot of emails and uh, Twitter uh, yeah. responses wondering my thoughts on this because Citizen Kane is my favorite movie. Um, but uh, I do think both movies are ahead of the were ahead of their time. Mm-hmm. Citizen Kane technically and Vertigo as far as content, mm-hmm. and it it does have a very modern sensibility in like having just the a character that we don't necessarily like that much. Now that we're huge fans of Charles Foster Kane, but. Uh, but we're never allowed inside his head the way we are with Scotty, and so I but, think. Uh, I think start, there is I mean, that. the first scene in Vertigo is uh, it's very Jimmy Stewart, and it's 
he's immediately sympathetic because he. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I, I haven't seen it in a while, but he's in his his office, right? And he's trying to change a light bulb or what is it? He's getting up on the step. He's ladder. getting up on the step ladder. Well, I think he's to in Mitch's apartment. He's not in his office. Oh, right. Okay, yeah. that's what it is. But that's not and, even the first scene, though. Because the first scene, he's chasing after a guy, we, and we oh, find right. that that's when the vertigo yes. comes into play. Yeah. And you're right. As the film opens, you know, Jimmy Stewart is chasing after this guy on the rooftop and he's got a cop with him and and the guy leaps from one roof to another roof and Jimmy Stewart tries to uh, make the same leap and he doesn't quite make it and he's hanging on for dear life and he looks down and the whole vertigo effect happens. The other cop, the, the cop makes it across, no problem. And he tries to help Scotty, and he slips, and he that's falls right. to his death. Yeah. Okay, that's right. All right. A very unpleasant scene, followed by a surprisingly pleasant one. And, uh, yeah, then the next scene is but, Scotty in Midge's apartment, and they're having a discussion. That's what I'm thinking of. But in any case, I mean, both those scenes illustrate what I'm, what I'm talking about, in that it's, uh, there's a sympathy toward him. Sure. And it's giving you information about the character. And the, the use of the camera is to put you, like, the, the vertigo effect, like, that's to put us inside his mind and like, oh, this is awful. I don't like this at all. Right. Um, not being him, but in that situation. And so, yeah, you're immediately with him and then you're with him all the more. And then it, you're not, a, you're never really against him, but you're just like, man, this guy's, he's got some, some problems. <laughs> um, but yeah. And so, uh, so people, uh, have asked me like, well, what do you, you know, you must be pissed. It's like, I, not at all. I'm not pissed at all. <laughs> I do think Citizen Kane's a better movie, but I'm not pissed. I'm not upset. If anything, I'm relieved. Okay, <laughs> not unlike the not unlike the movie The Shootist, with which was John Wayne's last film, uh, or really any other film about a gunslinger. Everyone's gunning for you. Uh-huh. All right, they're gunning for Queen Bee. All right, and uh, and what happens is. Uh, People aren't going to be, they probably still will, but like future film students and people, uh, kids who discover how much they love movies, they will feel like they should see Citizen Kane, but they will not go into it thinking, this is the best movie of all time, so it fucking better be the best movie (laughs) I've ever seen. There is some pressure there. There's a lot of pressure there, and it's just, and now it it won't be. Pressure's off. The pressure is off. (laughs) Now the pressure's on Vertigo. Yep. And and I think for and by the way, people are going to be pissed at Vertigo. Oh yeah, why is this year, guy driving around now? all the time? Yeah. Let's have something happen. Ten years from now, fifteen years from now, people who watch it at age fourteen, fifteen, right around the age I was when I saw Citizen Kane, uh, but also the age that when you become like a real film lover, it's usually about fourteen, fifteen, um, and they'll be like, "Well, this movie's considered the best movie of all time. I guess I'll watch it." Uh-huh. But I don't think I, I I stopped watching Vertigo the first time I saw it. Admittedly, I was very young, and then the first time I saw it for for reals was with you yeah, when we lived too. together, and both of us were astounded. Like I think it's a movie that that s- sort of requires you to be older, even just you got to grow get, into it. Yeah, even just to get through it. Now, the first time I saw Citizen Kane, I thought it was amazing, although my understanding of it was so incredibly limited. I, I thought it was all about how power corrupts. It's like, yeah, I guess so. That is by far the outermost layer of the onion. But um, like, uh, I still don't know what it's about. And so I think, I think it, that's not to crap on Vertigo. I, I just, it's one of those that like now that's, and I, I think it'll probably be number one for the next, I'm going to say three, uh, next three lists. And then I think uh, there might be another, another little switch. Tokyo Story's been making its way up the list there. That's true. And the day may come when they decide, you know what? 
it'll really fuck things up if a non-English film is number one. Although, okay. it'll, Bicycle Thieves was the, was the first number one. Right. Can I, so. uh, quick tangent. Okay. Talk about us watching Vertigo. And this could be a memory that I'm conflating with other memories. Okay. Um, but I know there are, there's a certain subset of loyal listeners who love to hear about when we lived together. Um, a certain, yes. And so, Vertigo, you, uh, uh our extra mate Cole, composer mm-hmm. of our chilling, uh, theme music. Yep. Um, the three of us lived together. We watched Vertigo together. And I, in my mind, it was the same night that we realized we could see into our neighbor's apartment. Do you remember him? Uh, yes. And do you remember what we called him? Oh, okay. oh hang our, on, our, hang on, hang on. Uh, it, okay, go ahead. Our, our neighbor was a gay man, and he would often bring home uh, dates that were different men all the time, but they were all of a certain type. All, Got it. All sort of, they were all big and Harry, they were what so he, he was into bears. He was into bears, and so we called him Mowgli because <laughs> he was not that big. He was a small, yeah, little, yeah. And so we called he was him a Mowgli. Little fella. Yeah. Wow. So, oh, anyway, anyway. So I don't know if it was actually the same night that we watched Vertigo that we realized it was around we could that see, time, yeah. but in my mind, it is the same night. If only we had watched Rear Window and then realized <laughs> that that would have been perfect. Yeah. The other thing I was going to ask about Vertigo, um, I don't know. Do any of you know a, a, a few or any women who have seen Vertigo? And have uh, my wife no... has seen it, and she didn't necessarily care for it. Okay, because this... she lo- she loves Rear Window and Psycho. Mm-hmm. She's not against uh, Hitchcock, but she oh, sure. did not really respond to Vertigo that much. Well, and this is something else that I was wondering about because there was somebody uh, on Twitter that you know I, I know uh, you and her have exchanged tweets, and I've exchanged tweets with her. Uh, it's well, we can say her name. It's not a crime. It's uh, Stephanie Smith. Hello, oh, Stephanie yeah. Smith, if you're listening. And you oh. are. Yeah, she's listening. She's, she's yeah. the best. And she sent out a tweet uh, not long after the, the list was released that she couldn't get into Vertigo or she didn't get it. And concurrent to that, I also remember reading somebody, uh, somebody had written about how Vertigo really is very much sort of a a male-oriented film because it is about the male gaze. And Mm -hmm. it occurs to me that, yeah, maybe that's why she couldn't get into it. Maybe that's why your missus couldn't get into it. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if that is also going to hamper Vertigo's chances to stay on top of the heap in the long term because it's really, in a way, because it's entirely a film about male obsession Mm-hmm. And that's not something that's entirely relatable to a lot of people. There's certainly a, a pretty heavy ick factor among many women, not just in terms of vertigo, but just in terms of just dealing with the subject of male obsession over a woman. That's something that I'm sure plenty of women have had uh, uncomfortable experience with. And vertigo will probably forever be a massive turnoff to them <laughs> in that regard. So. Uh, how long can we expect Vertigo to stay on top of the list if half of its potential audience is not necessarily ever going to fully be able to appreciate what is great about it? And this is why we should not have female film critics because that <laughs> that you know they're just thinking with their emotions. All right. Oh, what are you uh, that guy? <laughs> I can't uh, remember his name either. Uh, Jeffrey Wells from Hollywood Elsewhere. Oh, is that an opinion he holds? No, there was a thing he said. Just and now I'm. Now I'm uh, doing exactly what he wanted. He was essentially <laughs> trolling. Uh, basically, he said, you should beware of any positive reviews of the Hunger Games that come from female critics. Whoa, really? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> 
But yeah, wow. when, <laughs> when Stephanie sent out that tweet, at first, I was like, oh, what? No, you should go back and look at it again. It's it's great. It's there's it's chock full of greatness. It's slopping over with gratitude. And then I read this other piece about sort of the, the male gaze and so forth, and I thought, oh, well, you know what? It, it could be that, and I probably just should back off and let her have her opinion. Yeah. And that's and and that's and that's what this is all about, guys. Um, and that's you know it, the the problem with with uh, dissecting a list like this is it, it makes it seem as though we are putting ourselves out there. It's like we really. I've seen twenty nine movies of this fifty. <laughs> oh yeah, I've seen twenty seven. I'm the least it's, uh, qualified. And then Wes, you'd seen thirty three. Thirty three. All right, and so like I, I'm in no position to judge a good number of these, except of course uh, some like it hot, uh, which does not belong on this list. Come on now, it's not that funny. If you're gonna have a comedy on there, put Doctor Strangelove on there. Yes, Doctor Strangelove is a better choice as some far as like comedy it, goes. Some like it hot I, is not that wonderful, wonderful of a film. I also there are think two two funny scenes. I'm in the minority when I say this, but ugh. I I like some like it hot, but as far as Billy Wilder's comedies go, maybe this is just my own personal taste, but I think the apartment's way funnier, even though it's also way 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 sadder. Yeah, it gets it goes but south the, real quick. <laughs> but that's I, I think that's also just my my taste in comedy. Before we wrap up, I you know we were talking about directors who aren't aren't on here, and I'm not saying this one should, but I wanted to sort of pull the room here and say, um, do you think? Uh, Frank Capra who should, should be <laughs> anywhere on this list or is he too much of a sentimentalist is he too much of a crowd pleaser there's a there's a place for sentiment in film and I think uh, Sunrise one- is up there on the list yeah. yes. that's, so obviously there's there's it's, plenty of room for what it. I've done is I've laid a trap here because my point of view is that Frank Capra is not nearly as much of a sentimentalist as he is uh painted as I think he there's a, there's a lot of cynicism in his films yes there yeah. are there definitely are and also people because uh, you know everyone knows obviously it's wonderful life mr miss goes to washington yeah uh, mr deeds um mr deeds goes to town people should see the bitter tea of general yen which was a pre-code film that he made that is uh fucking great i feel like frank capper is one of those guys who sort of wants to have his cake and eat it too and that he wants to have, he wants to be cynical, but then he's got to have his hero come out on top at the end. It's sort of like in the way that uh, gangster pictures under the production code, they they were allowed to portray the gangsters doing all manner of horrible things as long as they got their comeuppance in the final scene. Right. Then they're going to let everything else slide. So I, I, I like some Frank Capra films. I will go on record right here and now as saying that I have a lot of distaste for It's a Wonderful Life. I oh. don't like that movie. Oh. I, I oh, actually man. like it quite a bit, uh, much to I my surprise. Which, which you only saw like last week, right? <laughs> right before you guys showed up. Uh, no, <laughs> I thought it was, it was fun. Like, like I said, there's, I've seen like two, two of these ago. movies than you have. But yeah, you, you, you held off on It's a Wonderful Life for Yeah, for I, st- I didn't watch it because I always assumed I would. Isn't that silly? <laughs> I just assumed I would see it, so I didn't go out of my way to see it. Uh, and um, yeah, and I will say actually about Frank Capper, I actually think that his idealism and his cynicism come from the same place they do i have heard that phrase that a cynic is the is a frustrated idealist yes sure. and so it's almost like he's making as a, a frustrated idealist myself oh no i can question. tell you it's true uh you you almost get the impression that he's making a comment on on cynicism in his films where there's you know cold hard horrible reality for a good portion of his movies and then you realize yeah like, there is cynicism. Like not, we are cynical up until the point where we choose not to be. 
mm-hmm. and that's almost always what happens. Because what, what it's wonderful life does, and this is so far afield, but um, you talk about the the like cold reality. Like, uh, wonderful life spends a lot of the first two acts almost making. Maybe not, at least the first act, making a case for why the character... It's not that the movie is cynical. Mm-hmm. It's that uh, this guy's life was fucking awful. Yeah. And, um, like, you know, the scene where the store owner hits him, you know what I'm talking about, in the mm-hmm. ear and, like, damages his ear yeah. is... Uh, it's not... There's, it's not, it's not candy coated. I watched that. I happened to catch that last Christmas, just like that scene, and I was like, "Oh, like the, it's." And his ear it's just harsh. explodes in blood. <laughs> yes, um, that's what happens. Um, but yeah, no, it's really painful. Uh, and so I think he's not just a cynic, but there's a sort of realism to him that he doesn't get credit for. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, he then tends to uh, come up clutching sentimentality, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad choice. Yeah, I think case. I think it can work well, and I was a little surprised that that film or any any movie by his, by him, but it probably would have been that one that would make the list, and I was surprised that it did not. Yeah, I, I wonder is that is that a movie that is uh, well, uh, appreciated outside of America? It is very American. Yeah, that's true. But although West hates it, <laughs> um, probably pretty close to the truth. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. What don't you I like just, about it? Uh, for me, it feels like the overriding message of that film is settle for less. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's go ahead and just abandon all the things that you want out of life. And not only that, but do it for the sake of a town full of dickheads who will turn their backs <laughs> on you uh, and, and just turn on you in a, and stab you in the back at the first fucking sign of trouble. You miserable, rotten bastards. <laughs> I, I just you know, Wes, calm down. Again, the put, whole put thing down that is chair. George Bailey is just constantly thwarted in his desires for everything that he wants to have a better life for himself, and then the only way that the, this attitude is turned around is when Clarence the Angel from Outer Space just, just rips his entire existence out from under him. And look, there is nobody who is not going to fight for what tiny bit of the universe they have if you try to take that away from them. So you're totally stacking the deck. <laughs> and I just, I, I can't take it. It's, it's, it's annoying as all get out. So I feel like it, it, it uh, not that we want it to end on a debate about uh, It's a Wonderful Life, but uh, I found it as a, and, that, and by the way, like I've heard that uh, interpretation before, and I'm, in a surprising number of, of people, like I, I thought like, oh, well now, once again, I'm in the minority for liking a movie that I thought was universally loved, so here we go. But um, the other one being Citizen Kane, where I got a lot of shit for loving it in uh, film school. But, yeah, um, but we, went to, we went to film school with people who were there because of, you know, well, movies that you like, but Wes Anderson movies that I don't like. Eh. But I didn't. I, I was not them as far as my love of him. But anyway, no. Um, no. I always I always took it as as like a uh, as championing the idea of contentment and that like like oh you didn't. It's like oh he's trying to make a better life for himself. Well, he's trying to make a better certain type of a life for himself. Like he does have. And don't get me wrong. I've been Jen and I've been watching a lot of Super Nanny, and so the idea of having children seems horrifying to me. Uh, <laughs> but nonetheless, some people seem to like it, and. Um, and so, uh, but like he does have like a wife that he loves and loves him. He is respected in the town, and people can forget it, but they will remember at some point. And and so I think it's just it's like you could spend your whole life chasing something, and you could wind up being miserable. But in your chasing, you will fail to recognize that you do have something now, mm-hmm. and there and you can always you know 
always reach for that rainbow. <laughs> but uh, you fail to recognize that you actually do have some stuff with you now. And well, I think it's a film about that. Okay. Well said. Let's end on a quick tangent. Are you going to have kids at some point? At some point. Let me ask you this. Okay. You're going to get up in the morning and get them their breakfast and no, get them I'll dressed up in and, the morning. and get them... <laughs> They're going to wake so, up at 3 a.m., right? <laughs> so, okay, so you're going to stay up all night, get them probably to, to I, preschool, and then come home and nap. My, my sleep schedule will probably change, but it will be nice that Jen and I it both It will be erased is what will happen. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, he currently sleep. What, your sleep schedule is like 7 a.m. to 3 p.m., something like that? Uh, it depends on the time of year. During the summer, when it's freaking 105, Oy. and I don't have AC in my bedroom, Yikes. Uh, oh. going to bed at sunup is a problem. <laughs> uh, and I wind up getting about six hours of sleep a, night, uh, a day. Ah, I wish I got six hours of sleep. But uh, right. yeah, six would be a step in the right direction for me. Yeah. Well. <laughs> well, when you work from home and you, and during right. the winter, you can get a solid nine. Oh, uh, there's oh, nothing my. better than sleeping in the winter. No wonder you're behind on uh, reviews. You owe us. You're sleeping away all that good movie right. Last days of disco uh, coming up. Machine Gun Preacher. I would right. have to convince a girl to let me put a baby in her I, and i don't <laughs> I, I i can't even get close enough to a girl to make that happen you so. could adopt I, <laughs> you could adopt a baby right but what by myself yeah i guess so sure no i don't think so no it's, 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 it happens in tv shows it's all the empowering time. yeah it happens in tv shows this is not a tv show <laughs> i saw murphy brown <laughs> that's not what happened <laughs> she got knocked up right it's been a long yeah, time i think so since i watched that but you know you could be. But she did raise the kid on her own. That's, she sure did. Yes, she was the prototype for Juno. Oh, but she uh-huh. had Eldon. Anyway, Eldon was Robert Pastorelli. Yeah, yeah no, I know who Eldon was. Rest in peace. Gone too soon. All right. Um, any other final thoughts on the list that people that you guys really wanted to get to? Yeah, if you know a girl who wants to go, oh no, about the <laughs> list. <laughs> no, actually, I think we're, uh, I covered a lot of stuff that uh, that I wanted. Well, I think I covered everything that I wanted to say about the list. So. And I, I think that, not, not that I need to say this, because I think if you're listening to this, you probably enjoy movies already, but part of me feels like, you know, if you were to start at number 50 and go all the way to number one, you'd get yourself a nice little film education there. Like, as far as history, aesthetic, acting, directing, writing, directing, wait, did I say directing? I meant to say acting, writing, directing, editing, cinematography, sound, like, it's all there. Yeah. Um, and so, it's a, yeah. You could. I could have saved a lot of money if I had this. <laughs> and when but all then this, you'd finish it, and then you'd watch uh, a film made after this, and un- find out what a Steadicam is, and it would blow your fucking mind. That's true. Yes. <laughs> but when all is said and done, really, what we are doing right here at this table is what lists like this mm-hmm. are intended to do, which is to inspire discussion about movies. And you know, you should all. Uh, do the same. Do likewise. Go check out this list for yourselves and, you know, converse amongst yourselves. Get back to us. Let us know if we're off our rockers or if you agree with anything that we've said. All right. Well, um, Wes, we'll have to have you back at some point and talk about the uh, they shoot pictures, don't they, top 1,000 list. <laughs> <laughs> top 1,000? Oh, my God. Um, so uh, y- uh, you can find us uh, at, at battleshippretension.com where you can read all, you can listen to the episodes uh, right there on the page uh, or um, read reviews or listen to reviews um, uh, read in, in, in West's dulcet tones. Uh, <laughs> that's at battleshippretension.com. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. Um, I'm sorry, you can email us. I've forgotten my spiel. Email us, david at battleshippretension.com or tyler at battleshippretension.com. Follow us on Twitter. I'm at Twitter 
at the pretension uh tyler is at more lessons which is the official twitter of his other podcast more than one lesson which you can find at more than one lesson.com and you can find my other podcast the weekly television review show previously on that's at previously on show.com so west where can people find you uh, on the internet, in addition to BattleshipRetention.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Dr. West Anthony, and of course uh, you can check out the Autour Cast, where uh, Rudy Obias and I uh, pick a filmmaker and we go through their filmography, one film per episode to get to, to the bottom of what makes them great and auteurist and such like. Uh, right. At this point, we have wrapped up our series on Mike Lee, and uh, the last couple of those episodes will be coming out onto the feed uh, fairly soon, and then, uh, just in time for the uh, tail end of summer, we will be switching gears and talking about the films of James Cameron. Uh-huh. So you can find that uh, on iTunes and at tourcast.com. And as we are a part of the Battleship Pretension fleet, yes. uh, I believe you also uh, put up links to our episodes uh, when they uh, go out into the universe. Yes, so you can find them at battleshippretension.com. That is a new development since the last time you were here. Yeah. Welcome aboard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Happy to be aboard. Uh, so... Thanks for being here, West. Uh, this was fun. Thank you for having me. Again. Thanks to everyone who's listening, and we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.